0: Hey gamers, Abby here. It's just me and you right now. Uh, Mish is not with us right now because I'm here to make an announcement. So we are changing the name of the podcast. Um, Yeah, I know. That's kind of a big announcement. But the new name for this podcast is... uh, Well, you've probably already seen it. It's Court Wreckers. Um, Which, by the way, Big thanks to friend of the show Ari for this name You know who you are Beautiful suggestion So let me explain We're changing the name of the podcast because our original name Which was Turnabout Podcast uh, Already exists as it turns out Uh, Nobody came for us Nobody asked us to change the name I don't even think the hosts of Turnabout Podcast Eris and Lucy I don't even think they know who we are however their podcast did exist before us in fact over two years before us and um you know it just it felt like changing the name was the right thing to do um so if you want to listen to the original turnabout podcast um it's also an ace attorney podcast um they're really great they do a great show and i've included a link to it i've included a link to their channel in the show notes so feel free to check them out but they had this name before us so you know they they get to keep it well we have to be the ones to change our name i think but yeah so otherwise uh hey get used to the new name because going forward we're the court wreckers baby um over the next few months we will be re-editing our old episodes to feature the new name um You know that that'll that'll take a little bit of time it's not a big priority but um you know we'll we'll get it sorted out so yeah that's uh that's pretty much it that's all that's all i have to say so thank you for your understanding and let's go ahead and get on with the show oh and uh mish does not know about this so (laughs) she is totally about to say the wrong name in the intro just you know this will just be our little secret you don't have to tell me about this, okay? All right, cool, thanks for being Joe. All right, I'll catch you guys later. Okay, bye.
1: Hello, and welcome to Turnabout Podcast, the only podcast that will shoot you and dump your body in a lake. Oh. Hello.
0: Oh, God.
1: I'm I'm your defense host, Mish.
0: I mean, I'm your prosecutor host, and I feel like I have some work to do now as a prosecutor.
1: Yeah, I'm going to keep you on your toes. There's going to be all sorts of crimes to prosecute. We're going to do all sorts of
0: criming. Are, I mean, are you throwing my body or our viewers' body into the lake? Oh. Uh, tbd i mean it's a big lake it could probably fit several bodies that's true it is a big lake
1: i'm kidding nobody's nobody's getting shot nobody's body is getting dumped in a lake uh but that was just to set the scene for today's exciting episode where we are going to discuss case 1-4 turnabout goodbyes abby are you excited
0: that's right i am very excited because turnabout goodbyes is the initial final case to the video game phoenix right ace attorney as you know the ds release of this game saw a separate fifth and final case to the game but in its original game boy Advance run in the japanese localization this is the conclusion to our original story
1: it's true <laughs> so last time we had a uh, case three syndrome uh so uh, I feel like this one's going to be like case four syndrome. Everything has been building up to this. Uh, and I'm very excited to discuss it with you.
0: Yeah. All of the mysteries that have been building over the past three cases, all of the questions that <laughs> you have will have answers. Questions such as why is the plant named Charlie? I still don't know. <laughs> Where did red white get his fantastic drip? And what is the name of me of the first movie? That made me a cry. All that and more will be answered in this case. (laughs) It's more like none of that. Not a single one of those things will be answered today. (laughs) But yeah, but I promise to answer
1: none of those questions, but hopefully some other questions. All right. So so let's get into it.
0: Yeah, let's get into it. What do you got for us?
1: All right. So our scene uh, opens in a rowboat in the middle of a lake. We see uh, it's nighttime. It's foggy. We see two uh, shadowy figures, just kind of, you know, black silhouettes on this rowboat in the middle of the lake. Um, The two people exchange some dialogue. They say, um, you know, it's been, what, 15 years? um, About that, yes, 15 years is a long time to wait, yada yada, you can't imagine how much I've suffered, Uh, and now the perfect opportunity presents itself. At last, I shall have my revenge. (laughs) The other person says, what? Followed by one last line for now, Merry Christmas. We see a close-up of a hand holding a pistol. It fires a single shot, and one of the two figures falls out of the boat and into the lake. So right off the bat, very dramatic opening scene.
0: I feel like... I feel like Merry Christmas is one of the most dramatic things you can say before shooting someone.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this only prompts, like, more questions that hopefully uh, we'll have the chance to answer today. But yeah, so um, at this point the camera zooms out and get ready for this. We see quite a twist. The figure holding the pistol The remaining man in the boat is none other than your rival, prosecutor Miles Edgeworth.
0: Abby, how
1: did you react when you saw this scene for the first time?
0: It's so good. It's honestly, it is such a good introduction to this case. It it kind of goes into what I've been saying, you know, in the previous three cases in that the introduction does such a good job of setting the tone for the case going forward. Right. Yeah. You you think about the first turnabout. Right. It's a very high yeah. energy. It's a very frantic intro, which I think <laughs> relates to the case that we then see with Frank thought. That's very fast paced. That's very, I would say, high energy. You have the second case, turnabout sisters, which, uh, interestingly, is the only case of the four that does not have its own unique intro song, uh, but rather starts with an extended dialogue between Mia and Maya which I think sort of emphasizes the sentimental connection that we have with Mia through the through line of the second case. The third case, we have the Steel Samurai opening, which is very like kind of fun and like kind of silly, which I think kind of represents the more lighthearted tone of the case. And then finally for this one, we have this very dramatic intro, right?
1: Well, I feel like even within this intro, there's kind of like a tonal shift, right? It's almost, it starts out kind of very serious and somber. You know, they're discussing, you know, something that happened 15 years ago. One of these two people has been waiting a long time, talking about how they suffered. And then, then we get the twist. You know, one of them is shot, falls into the lake. And then we get the twist that it's Miles Edgeworth. This is like... Collaboration between like Shu Takumi and M Night Shyamalan, like what a twist! Yeah, <laughs> like, but that that was like a real like whiplash. There, like wait, what?
0: Yeah, Shu really wrote an M Night Shyamalan twist in like a fifteen second Game Boy Advance cinematic intro. Like, yeah, short
1: shortest movie ever.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the thing is, <laughs> one thing I really like about this intro as well is that the game does not assign nameplates to any of the dialogue. Yeah. So you do not know which lines apply to which person. And I feel like you can read this scene one of two ways depending on which set of lines you give to Miles and which set of lines you give to the victim.
1: So I I thought about that exact same thing. That's so funny that you bring that up. Um, Because on the one hand, they don't give you the names for who's saying what. And I, I had a similar thought. But well... See, I don't know, because I don't want to spoil like, the end of this case. But but what were you about to say, Heavy?
0: Nah, yeah, I, I get what you're saying is, yeah, when it comes to the end of the case, you know, we get proper context for this. But right now at the beginning, you know, from yeah. all appearances, it looks like it looks pretty bad. It looks like Miles just shot this guy, right? It looks like Miles is the one saying, you know, it's been 15 years. I've been suffering now it's yeah. time to get my revenge you know it, it sounds like miles has had some deep shit he's been holding within him um and and we'll see early in the case miles denies that he was the murderer in this case he's very clear about that so then you kind of yes. twist it in the other direction now you read this this exchange somebody has had it out for miles for 15 years miles has been causing someone to suffer for 15 years like That's also honestly really bad that someone feels this way about him. So uh, it's just such, I love the way that this intro is written because however you interpret it, however you read it, it's just oozing with like this melancholic drama.
1: Yeah, no, that's totally true. And like, it's such a small, well, I was going to say it's a small detail. It's the kind of thing that's maybe like easy to miss because this whole like opening scene only takes like 15 seconds. You know, maybe on your first playthrough, you may not even really think about the fact that there are no names assigned to who's saying what um but yeah the scene would be very different um because there's one line you know when they one of the people says you know at last I shall have my revenge obviously the scene would be much different if that's uh Miles Edgeworth saying that versus you know the other mystery person in the boat saying that
0: yeah which it does seem a little out of character for Miles to be reveling in his revenge you know I feel like what we've learned about him is that he's you know despite how ruthless his reputation is he doesn't seem like a very vindictive person to me
1: yeah i don't know it's it's tough to say because you and i have both played many games in the ace attorney series that's
0: true i do have this sort of post-hoc characterization of miles in my head right now whereas like if you're a first-time player like you might have a less positive impression of him like you could, I think, at this point, still see him having this, like, darker sort of inner inner character.
1: Yeah, because everything the game has been telling you up to this point is, you know, you have Miles Edgeworth, this, you know, ruthless prosecutor who supposedly, you know, forges evidence because all he cares about is getting his guilty verdict. Um, you know, it seems like he'll go to any lengths, you know, obviously, like, committing murder seems like a step farther than that, but, you know, based on what we've learned about this character, it doesn't seem like impossible it's like yeah as far as you know first-time player would know this might be something miles Edgeworth would do
0: yeah and i think that's going to end up being a through line for the rest of this case is kind of resolving the reputation and the unknown things that we know about miles with the characterization we've been presented with him like i said as this progresses miles is going to deny that he murdered the victim that he did any of this and the game will kind of telegraph that we're supposed to trust him but i feel like in the back of your head there is always that thought of what if he did do it what if he is yeah exactly what if he's bullshitting us right now like what if he actually did do it what if he was that person saying at last i shall have my revenge and i feel like that little bit of uncertainty really does make this case interesting
1: i do appreciate the kind of ambiguity there you know there are other you pointed out i think there's only something what like a small handful of cases where you actually see who the murderer is at the beginning most of them you can yes. have to figure it out so from what we see here it's a little bit ambiguous but we don't get you know zero information we know that you know miles was at the scene we know he's like holding the murder weapon so it looks pretty bad <laughs> but we don't we didn't actually you know see him pull the trigger so you yeah know, we we don't know yet but yeah um I guess uh, now would be a good opportunity to jump to the next scene. It is December 25th, Christmas Day, 10.08 It's Christmas. It is Christmas at the Wright and Co. Law Offices. So, oh, one last thing I want to point out about this murder. Yeah. I just thought this was funny. This is the first time we see, like, an actual, like, weapon being used to carry out murder. Not, like, a clock statue or, like, you know, a samurai spear prop that, later turned out to be, like, a spiky fence post, like, I don't know. That's true. Like, oh. <laughs> it's like, I guess there are actual <laughs> guns, like, in this universe.
0: There, There is something a little jarring about just seeing, like, a top-to-bottom gun in Ace Attorney. Yeah,
1: it's like, man, all these other, like, murderers are playing on hard mode, like, they could have gotten a gun.
0: <laughs> right, yeah, coming up with these, you know, el- elaborate deaths involving clocks and fences and stuff, and it's like,
1: yeah, these like Looney Tunes
0: like deaths.
1: <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, jump ahead. Next scene. Uh, it's Christmas morning. Uh, Wright and Cola Loft we see our hero, uh, Phoenix Wright, and his now, uh, official, I'll call it assistant, uh, Maya. Um, the two of them, <laughs> this, this part, I love this scene because this is just such classic, like, Ace Attorney, the two of them having their, like, adorable, like, banter together.
0: I, I do love that this scene you know it it starts up it has the turnabout sisters theme which is very like peppy and upbeat theme immediately after this dramatic confrontation at the on the lake it is such a great sort of like juxtaposition I love it yeah
1: it's been such freaking like whiplash you know you go from this like serious like somber like oh my god what happened 15 years ago to like oh my god he shot that man to just you know the cute like a wholesome uh music like maya's theme like i love it it's great yeah all right so uh yeah we get some just adorable classic uh banter between nick and maya uh maya's asking if there are any waterfalls around here uh she is looking to continue her spirit medium training and wants to train uh, under a freezing cold waterfall so um I feel like Phoenix is kind of busting her chops a little bit. He says, uh, she was trying to use like the shower in the bathroom, but said like the water pressure wasn't good enough. And uh, Phoenix jokingly tells her to like call the fire department and ask if they'll like hose her down. Uh, Maya, of course, you know, takes it literally. and leaves the room to go call the fire department, which is just like par for the course for Maya, (laughs) like not be able to read the room realize that it was a joke. Um,
0: and, and I do love her response to that is after she goes to run off to the fire department, she comes back very upset and says, the fireman yelled at me when I called him. Like just and they, <laughs> really, and really, they have, really
1: offended. They have that like adorable uh, sprite where Maya, she's just, you know, looking down, looking sad. It's
0: like Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I probably would we have do get, done the same thing. I, I, there are a few interesting things in this interaction and- Again, it is just very funny. I love it. I love the interactions with Phoenix and Maya. But I think there is something to be said about why Maya is so motivated to train her spiritual medium powers, right? It's something in particular that she was kind of down about during the third case, right? was her difficulty in calling uh, Mia for assistance and that this has sort of been a continued problem for her. Um, is her sort of insecurities in her spirit medium abilities. And I kind of like that as a character, she channels those insecurities towards action. We see her now, a few months later, she is like really energetic and really fired up about training.
1: I love that, you know, for the same reason you just said, and um, the other thing I appreciate about that is um, that it provides a plausible, like, in-game explanation for, you know, why she can't summon Mia, because, you know, not to jump ahead, but as with most of these trials, you know, you're going to get to the courtroom, things are going to be looking dire, it's like, you know, Maya, we could really use uh, some help from the chief, and of course she's unable to summon her, so, you know, you're kind of left to figure things out on your own, but, yeah, I appreciate that they gave, you know, the in-game explanation rather than just kind of the hand-wavy, like, yeah, why didn't they try and summon Mia, like, she really would have been helpful here.
0: yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a convenient storytelling mechanism that Maya is a medium in training, but it yeah. is also a very good part of her characterization and a super important part of her arc as well. So I like how they incorporate it into these little conversations like this. Another little detail we get from this exchange is that the Wright and Co. law offices does have a shower, which is a very important piece of evidence for my personal headcanon, which is Phoenix Wright lives at the law office.
1: I didn't even think about that, but yeah, why would there be a shower, like, at this loft?
0: Why? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So. And and we've
1: never, we've never seen Phoenix Wright's home. Like, I think there was the one thing where he, like, picked up the phone, but it was just a completely black background. So.
0: No reason. That couldn't be the law office. Rent in LA is not cheap, and my boy is trying to save some money.
1: <laughs> just sleeping under the chief's desk.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Exactly. So that's that's my personal theory. I think he lives at the law office, but um, I'll believe it. We get our main motivation for the case in this scene as well. Uh, It Mm -hmm. starts with uh, Phoenix writing, or with Phoenix watching a news report on the uh, television. Uh, Just some, you know, tabloid information about uh, an unidentified animal in Gord Lake that the locals have been naming Gordy. But then yeah. there's quickly a turn in the reporting where they uh, report on a murder at Gord Lake. They specify that Miles Edgeworth is the subs- suspect.
1: Indeed. So they say, um, so so here we're about to get a little bit of an info dump. Uh, the TV news report says the body of a man was found in Gord Lake uh, early this morning and they have, uh, police apprehended a suspect uh, at the scene of the crime and that suspect's name is Miles Edgeworth, age 24. So, obviously, this is very shocking uh, for Phoenix
0: Wright to learn. Yeah, he is immediately upset by the news. And one thing that I kind of like, too, is, you know, Maya comes in talking about the fire department and stuff and her spirit training. But she mm-hmm. immediately, her whole attitude, her whole priorities change as soon as she hears the news, right? Once yeah. she hears that Miles has been arrested on murder... She doesn't care about spirit training anymore. She doesn't care about, you know, the silly bits that she was doing. She is, like, completely invested in in this now.
1: Yeah, I love that sprite of Mia when she's got, like, her shocked face. It's like, you know, Phoenix tells her that, you know, Miles Edgeworth is a suspect in a murder. She's like, what? Like, her mouth, like, extends off of her face, yeah. like the anime expression. And, yeah, instantly she's like, oh, my God, let's go find out, Nick.
0: And that pretty much sets, sets our duo off after that is... They're they're hitting the streets to go to Gord Lake.
1: Yeah, that's right. So, did you um, did you immediately uh, head out to investigate, or did you uh, look at anything in the law offices while you were here?
0: I, you know what? Before I head out, before we head out, uh, I did check out a few of uh, the little details of the office. You know, I gotta. <laughs> you know, right, I gotta. I'll, you
1: you sound so excited. I'll, I'll give you the the honor of describing uh, what, what we can investigate or examine okay, uh, so in the law offices.
0: We've, we've got a few updates. We've got a few yeah. office updates as we do every case now, I think. Um, oh God, I can't the wait. first is actually kind of a cute one, right? Um, whereas in the last case, it dawned upon Phoenix that he. Yeah. In the second case, Phoenix is like, wow, Mia has a lot of books. On the third mm-hmm. case, Phoenix is like, huh, I'm going to have to read those books, won't I? And now in yeah. the fourth case, Phoenix has says when you examine the books in the law office, He says that he has started trying to read Mia's books, but they really made his head hurt. Yeah. And also his foot hurt. (laughs) So I appreciate that you, I mean, yeah,
1: you do kind of see the progression of him, like feeling overwhelmed at having to like read them all and then like actually like making an attempt. So he is, you know, growing uh, as a character and an attorney.
0: Yeah. And then uh, similarly, we examine the movie poster we get another little update there uh supposedly (laughs) Maya wants to put up a steel samurai poster which uh Phoenix opposes her it's not clear necessarily if uh Maya's intent was to put the steel samurai poster over the movie poster or just put it you know beside it or whatever but I feel you'll be kind of sad if she replaced you know the movie poster for the first movie that made me a cry you know the one
1: that she can't remember the name of
0: right but on the other hand i feel like it would kind of signal that you know them as a pair are sort of moving on you know yeah but i i don't know i i honestly forget if that's something that uh comes up in the later cases but i just thought it was interesting that uh she wanted to put up a steel samurai poster and then uh if we take a look at our office plant uh, we see that Phoenix is now wholly committed to the name Charlie for the plant yeah. after he learned the name from Mia, um, and that now Maya is also appropriately watering the plant. She is not overwatering it as she was before. Charlie is the greatest character. I Charlie is the best character in the game. Uh, <laughs> um, and then, if we examine the Gatewater Hotel, we learn that they are opening up a second branch soon. The murder business has been booming for them.
1: After this, we head to the detention center, uh, where, of course, our friend slash rival, uh, Miles Edgeworth, is incarcerated. There was one uh, good line that I highlighted here. Uh, Maya says, we've all been in here one time or another, haven't we? And it's like,
0: yeah, I I like that. Yeah,
1: I guess you have all been arrested for murder at this point. <laughs>
0: not sure if that's the club you want to be in, but yeah, it is true that they've all been on the other side of the glass.
1: Yeah, it's true. Uh, So finally, you know, we see uh, Edgeworth on the other side of the glass. He's still uh, wearing his, you know, uh, his fancy boy clothes, his, you know, like pink suit with like the frilly um, cravat, which I thought was kind of funny. I mean, I guess that is how he dressed to go meet this guy in the lake, which Matt in itself is kind of wild. But then... (laughs) I don't know, apparently this prison doesn't have, like, uniforms. You just get to keep wearing your ridiculous costume.
0: I believe we do see in the Miles Edgerth Investigations game that uh, Miles has multiple pairs of the same suit jacket. Yeah. And that we can presume that this is literally just how he dresses everywhere. It's like
1: the Steve Jobs, like, you know, with the black turtleneck. He just opens his closet and it's like a hundred of these, like, pink suits. <laughs>
0: You know, he's picked an aesthetic, and he is wholly committed to it. And you know what? I can respect that. (laughs) Yeah. There are a few interesting interactions from this scene with uh, Phoenix approaching Miles in the detention center. One Uh, thing I thought was kind of funny is that when Miles sees Phoenix, his sprite disappears, and Phoenix says, Hey, (laughs) Edgeworth, come back. Right? Yeah, he's just not having it. (laughs) Now... The thing is you think about, you know, the reality of this. Where did he go? <laughs> His sprite disappears like... and Phoenix says, come back. Miles is in the detention center. Where did he go? Is he like hiding under the <laughs> under the counter or like what what is he hiding behind the guard? Where did he go?
1: I mean, you know, Again, not to jump ahead, but that does happen later, (laughs) that I'll hide under the table. I guess that's Um, true. But but yeah, that's a fair point. (laughs) He is just kind of in this isolated room, like behind the glass. Yeah, where did he go?
0: It's a stupid thing, but I do just love the imagery of our very dignified and refined Miles Edgeworth, like just crouching under the counter to try and ignore Phoenix. I think it's really funny. Um, It's like, you can't see me. But yeah, exactly. But Edgeworth does, of course, decide to face Phoenix, and yeah, you know, he seems uh, very surly about it. Yeah, you know, he's like, "Oh, did you just come oh, yeah. here to laugh at me?" I do like this exchange. Phoenix says, uh, "We don't have so much free time that we could spend it coming down here to laugh at you." And then Edgeworth <laughs> pauses for a moment and says, "Yes, you do."
1: <laughs> and it's such an effective dig. Poor, you've got poor Nick, who's like, you know, can't find any new clients, is constantly worried about paying rent on their, like, the law office, and he just, like, inherited. And Edgeworth is totally right. You do yeah. have all the free time in the world.
0: Yeah, and in Phoenix's inner monologue, he says, actually, he's right. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> awesome.
1: So, I mean, Edgeworth, he's a little grumpy, but kind of understandable given that you know he's been arrested yeah that's um fair. so at this point you can uh present your defense attorney's badge and offer to uh defend him in court edgeworth uh laughs at you um you know he says that he won't trust this you know novice lawyer uh with only three trials under his belt to defend him um and he goes on it, it's kind of this is actually kind of a an interesting scene because it's like on the surface level the things that edgeworth is saying He makes a fair point that, um, you know, Phoenix Wright is kind of a new, inexperienced lawyer, but, you know, as we're about to learn soon, this is all just a front that he's putting up, and the the real thing is that he doesn't want you getting involved in this case, but he kind of um, finds, you know, some plausible deniability here. He gets, um, you know, a reasonable, sounding excuse of, you know, I don't trust you to take this case, like, um, but I don't know. I kind of, did you feel the same way, like, You know, Edgeworth is kind of laughing at you, saying you're, like, inexperienced, but I got the sense that, like, he's just, like, lying through his teeth. Like, Edgeworth totally, like, respects you.
0: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Right. He he is, for (sighs) sure, just kind of building a story to try and keep Phoenix out of this case. Because I think he himself does not want Phoenix to get wrapped up in, you know, everything that's going on. Obviously, we, the reader know that there's some history here obviously and it seems like the vibe I get is that Edgeworth is trying to protect Phoenix in particular Edgeworth does say he says you in particular I cannot ask to do this
1: yeah that's really good because that's like maybe the best example of what I was trying to describe right where it's like ostensibly he's saying like In particular, I don't want you taking this case because you're, you know, inexperienced, you're going to lose. But like, you know, the deeper meaning to what he's saying is like, I don't want you involved because, you know, I respect you because you're like my childhood friend, Um, as we learn later. And he's like, yeah, I just don't want you anywhere near this case.
0: Yeah. And kind of to amplify that within his conversation, he does mention that his case is near hopeless, that no other defense attorney is willing to cover him. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the vibe I get, is that he sees that Phoenix is a very promising defense attorney, and he yeah. kind of, I don't think, wants to take Phoenix down with him.
1: Yeah, so as you said, things look pretty hopeless for Edgeworth. Because um, First of all, the case against him is pretty strong. You know, they found him, you know, at the scene of a crime, like holding the murder weapon. Um, but then also he mentions that, um, you know, He's talked to apparently several other uh, defense attorneys. None of them will take his case because, um, you know, it, as a this ruthless prosecutor, you know, he's worked with them and, you know, in the past gotten all of their clients declared guilty. So he says, you know, it might be my fault. They lack confidence. So I guess Edworth kind of shot himself in the foot there.
0: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I didn't even really think about that either, that um, <laughs> there may yeah. be other reasons he's- why other defense attorneys aren't willing to take him.
1: Yeah, it could be a combination of several things. You know, like he said, they like lost their confidence because they've lost all their cases to him. Or you know, it could be that I think Gumshoe says this later on that this is such like a high-profile case that it would be you know really high stakes if you chose to accept this case and you lost. Or you know, another possibility is like they might just be like, man, f this guy, <laughs> right? You know, he's had to work against him so many times. So for several reasons, uh, nobody wants to accept this case. So things look very bad for Edgeworth. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I kind of didn't think about that angle, sort of, I guess, the politics between prosecutors and defense attorneys that, um, yeah. yeah, there's understandably probably some friction there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, after we present our attorney's badge, we do get one last <laughs> uh, dialogue option with Edgeworth, and we can ask him <laughs> point blank, did you do it? To which he once again denies that he did it and asks... um actually i think at this juncture he yeah i was doesn't, gonna say hold on a second Do- yeah doesn't deny it. i
1: think he he might not at this
0: point he doesn't deny it he just tells them to leave doesn't he
1: yeah he just and and i actually like that i mean um <laughs> we kind of spoiled it for our, our listeners we eventually he does uh finally come out and deny that he was the shooter but yeah at this point we really don't know he just says you know get out of here i don't want you anywhere near this case um he won't even answer the question, you know, did you do it? Did you shoot him? There was one other kind of related, like, funny line they had earlier. When you're trying to press him for information, you can ask about Gord Lake. You know, um, uh, Phoenix right? you know, asks him why he was at the lake. And uh, Edgeworth gives him this kind of sarcastic answer. He says, I went to see Gordy." So it's like, um, you know, he really just, like, doesn't want to honestly answer any of your questions like you just basically like get out of here i'm done with you
0: right yeah he's basically just giving you like the sort of bare minimum he has to because he's basically a trapped animal in a cage at this point he can't not face phoenix
1: yeah so that that's actually a, a good maybe place to transition to our next scene you know Edgeworth is being so uh uncooperative we're not getting any information out of him so um I think at this point, even Maya believes he did it. He's like, Mr. Edward did it, didn't he? And Phoenix is yeah. like, "Uh, let's go investigate somewhere else. So at this point, we head off to the scene of the crime, uh, the entrance to Gordo Lake. And there we are reunited with our favorite uh, recurring character, Detective Dick Gumshoe. Um,
0: which, he is out in full force today. Yeah, he's all fired up. Um,
1: you know, this is great because we get some uh, kind of characterization of Gumshoe here we know that you know he has so much respect you know for Edgeworth like the two of them have this close working relationship you know you get the sense that like it's almost like more than that like Gumshoe like I don't know says this tremendous respect for Edgeworth you know like denies that like he could ever like be capable of committing this murder so Gumshoe's you know trying to like frantically uncover any evidence he can to, you know, clear Edgeworth's name. Uh, but he's pretty much, like, the only one on Team Edgeworth. Like, all the other police investigating are kind of just going through the motions. Like, they're like, we're coming up empty. There's no other evidence. Like, obviously, you know, Edgeworth didn't.
0: Yeah, it's... So, there is a certain drama, I feel like, to this scene, right? Where you come upon Gumshoe at Gord Lake, and he's like... There's a desperation to it, I feel like. yeah, Where he's just... Good work, he's, you're oh, right. Yeah, he's ordering around all of his other police officers. He's telling them to look around. Nobody else is motivated to do this because they all feel it's a pretty open and shut case. And it's kind of like Gumshoe is the only one here who's fighting for Miles against all other odds. And Uh when he actually, when he sees Phoenix and Maya and he sees that they're on the case, he's like, there's Uh this relief, right? There's this sort of hope from him. Yes, you're right. That somebody else is on the scene who is on his side. Now, conversely, he is kind of disappointed when he hears that uh, they're not actually defending Miles Edgeworth. But he's still very like, he's much more forthright than he's ever been at this point with his information. Because
1: So, so I think you're totally right that he gets this kind of renewed sense of hope when he sees uh, Phoenix and Maya. And I didn't want to interrupt you, but but I do just have to point out uh, the running gag that nobody can remember anyone's name in this game. He goes, "Hey, you're you're that hairy guy, Harry oh my Butz, God. butts, right?" <laughs> Which yeah, is, I, like I appreciate the double mistake because it's like the character's name is Larry Butts, and you're not Larry Butts. You're Feet, right? Right.
0: <laughs> so, right. It's, it's you're wrong on both counts. Yeah, exactly.
1: But but I think at this point now we have uh, Gumshoe, uh, Mia and edgeworth all can't seem to remember anyone's name abby tell me why can no one in this universe remember anyone's name
0: well because it's funnier that way no you're right i I was
1: thinking it was going to be like the the professor Leighton explanation where it's like they're all just like tripping on like hallucinogenic gas the whole time spoiler for the diabolical box
0: well it is l.a this is los angeles they might be tripping on yeah. hallucinogenic vapor this whole time we don't know yeah it's
1: totally possible um all right so let's see we have a so gumshoe you know very briefly has this renewed uh sense of hope which is instantly dashed as soon as he learns that uh mr edgeworth hasn't actually uh, asked you to defend him yet um but i think he's still uh willing to like help you in your investigation here yeah he is uh,
0: You know, he tells you very straightforward. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Well, I think you were about to to say the same thing where he summarizes the events of the night. Did you want to?
0: Yeah, he tells you, you know, in a very straightforward way, the events that they currently know about the case, that there were two men on a boat and one shot the (laughs) other and Miles Edgeworth was arrested, which is pretty much exactly what we saw during the opening. Um, He also goes on to explain that uh, pretty much everyone is sure that Miles Edgeworth did (laughs) it. And that Gumshoe himself is really sad about the lack of faith Uh that the rest of the police department has in Miles Edgeworth. He we can also talk to him about the I I guess Miles' request for defense, right? Whether he has Uh appointed a defense attorney. And Gumshoe pretty plainly says that he hasn't got one yet and that um he kind of doesn't know the whole story, but like nobody is taking his case. Pretty much echoing what Uh we heard from Miles himself so yeah we get that detail as well um and then finally the last thing that gumshoe tells us is that apparently the prosecution already has one witness lined up that he is pretty sure that is gonna show up to the trial tomorrow
1: yeah that's right that's um you ask him you know we learned that um there was a shot uh that occurred about 15 minutes after midnight and you ask him uh you know, how the police were able to arrive so quickly. And that's when he tells you, uh, there was a witness on the scene who reported, uh, the murder. Oh, that's right. So, yeah. So we get, um, this is where we start to, you know, learn some more, some details about the trial tomorrow. We know, so things are looking, you know, worse and worse for first. We know he was found, you know, at the scene of the crime. He's, we see him, you know, holding, uh, the murder weapon. So we know his fingerprinter on the gun. And now we know if the things weren't looking bad enough, um, there was a witness to the crime, <laughs> Uh, Which we're about to learn more about.
0: Yeah, and combine that with the lack of trust anyone has in it, and yeah, it seems pretty grim. Yeah. So the last thing Gumshoe has to tell us is, um, we could ask him if he has any information about the autopsy report, or if he has any way to get in touch with him, because I guess cell phones weren't commonplace in 2001. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But actually, regardless of which dialogue option you choose, Gumshoe basically just says, hey, why don't you just come down to the um, police station later today and, you know, we could talk about the autopsy report.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, there was just, like, I think, like, one or two other lines that I wrote down. One of them was kind of funny. This is when Gumshoe's uh, trying to, like, persuade you to take um, Edgeworth's case. He says, it's like, oh, basically, you know, come on, Mr. Edgeworth, you know, helped you get your client innocent, you know, during the Steel Samurai case. And um, it's, like, basically saying how Edgeworth had, like, so much respect for Phoenix, right? He's like, Oh man, he was talking about you after the case. You should have heard him. He just kept saying, Right, right, right over and over again. It's like, Uh, not sure that's a good thing. I just imagine yeah. him like being frustrated, like before when he was, you know, staring out the window, sadly, you know, sipping his tea. <laughs>
0: yeah. Just like shaking his head, like, Ah, oh, right. Or the, the scene where he crushes a, a paper cup with boiling water in his hands and literally, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We uh, again. I mentioned this in one of the previous episodes that I do love when Gumshoe inadvertently opens these little windows into Miles's like inner monologue. It it's Uh, so I don't know. It's one of those things that I think is like just really funny because it to think of it how Edgeworth has this very dignified and refined character, but then on the inside he's like kind of emotional, right? He's kind of brooding. And I don't know, there's just something, there's something kind of sweet and kind of funny about it, I think.
1: No, it's great. (laughs) Um, So I think that pretty much covers our conversation with uh, Detective Gumshoe. I think uh, the conversation basically ends with, um, (laughs) what was it, Um, (laughs) with Maya saying like, oh, I forgot today is Christmas. And she's like, Nick, what are you getting me for Christmas? And he says, talk to Santa, which, spoiler, you're going to do very soon. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit of (laughs) Um,
0: foreshadowing. Um, I yeah. did write down in my notes here that um, I feel like this, this sort of scene, right, this area at the entrance to Gord Lake is um, kind of like evocative to me, right? It To me, it's sort of the setting that I associate Gumshoe's theme with because like Gumshoe's theme to me almost sounds like a little melancholy to me. It's got a little mm, bit of yeah. like it's got this momentum to it it has a very steady rhythm to it but it almost sounds like sad right it almost sounds like i don't know wistful in a certain way and i i think throughout this whole dialogue this whole exchange with gumshoe we have his theme playing and i think about the the scene at Gord lake where all the trees are dead there's yeah it's very like sort of gray and brown palette yeah i just think about like it's Christmas day somebody just died like it's I don't know it's just this this whole tableau of like I'm not uh-huh. quite sure what the word is for it but to me it's a whole ass vibe I guess it reminds <laughs> me of yeah. when I first played this game when I played this game I did actually play through this case around Christmas time right so it was like oh man yeah yeah very appropriate um I don't know it's just I I, I think about it
1: Uh, Yeah, I can totally see that the way you described it as being a vibe. You know, if you're like playing this on your DS, you know, you look out your bedroom window and it actually is, you know, snowing and gray outside. Yeah, I totally see that. Yep,
0: That's exactly, exactly the vibe.
1: All right. So let's see. Um, At this point, uh, I think you already said this. Gumshoe has to leave to go back to the precinct uh, for an investigation briefing. Uh, You can ask about the autopsy report, but he says they're not done. Uh, working it up yet. So once again, your choice doesn't really matter in these dialogue options. Uh, in any case, Gumshoe, you know, gives you the location, uh, tells you how to get to the precinct. So you know, we'll get the ability to go to this uh, new location, and then he just kind of takes off. Oh, and then uh, you can ask him if we have permission to, you know, walk around and investigate. And he says, yeah, no problem, pal. Which I think, ah, oh, man, I, in the beginning, I don't think I pointed out the number of times that Gumshoe uses his uh, endearing catchphrase of calling people pal, I feel like. (laughs) You know, if we uh,
0: had a little more forthright, we could have been keeping a pal counter this whole time. Yeah.
1: Well, he, he like, takes it to the next level when he's, like, getting frustrated with, like, the, you know, other officers, you know, investigating the scene. He's calling everyone pal. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, ah, this is unacceptable. We need some evidence, pal. (laughs) So in any case, he takes off, and um, at this point, I think you get an option. You can choose. You can go to the police department, or you can uh, kind of go and explore like Dord Lake more. What, what did you do at this point?
0: Yeah, you know what? It is one of those things where, like, I I, I kind of it doesn't even like register in my mind that you probably could just go straight to the precinct and follow up with Detective Gumshoe because, like, within yeah. the within the narrative of the game gumshoe like he's pretty much like hey i'm gonna head back to the precinct we can meet up later so like it, uh-huh. it feels like it would be weird for like you know phoenix and maya to to hop in their car and pretty much tail gumshoe back to the precinct so it just made more sense to to head on into the uh gourd lake proper at this point but yeah i guess you're right that as far as like the critical path goes you probably could go either way
1: yeah, so y- technically you can go to the precinct now. Luckily, um, it, within the context of the game, it actually does kind of make sense that if you head directly to the precinct, you can examine some stuff, get some kind of, like, flavor text from, like, the, you know, things you can examine in the room. But, like, Gumshoe is still in this briefing. He's not available, so they didn't, you know... Oh! Pull like the, they didn't pull the hokey video game logic of, you know... It's like, ah, oh, meet me here later, and you just show up instantly. So, good on you, game, for maintaining this illusion
0: okay so there there is an internal logic there i was you're okay i was wrong you actually can't follow up with him immediately yeah so so i didn't bother going
1: to um the precinct um so i just so we'll just pick up from the from gourd lake uh public beach so you continue um further into gourd lake you have this beach area there's um You see a couple of benches, there's some water, there's a hot dog stand labeled uh, Samurai Dogs, which you can talk about. Maya begs you to buy her a Samurai Dog. She's like, I want one, please.
0: (laughs) Um, I do like that when you examine the hot dog stand, Phoenix in his inner monologue remarks, The banner reads Samurai Dogs. And then he pauses uh and he says, Somebody needs to redecorate. I it's <laughs> yeah. I really enjoy when Phoenix is just like needlessly judgy in his inner monologue. I, I didn't re- I didn't remember
1: that about like Phoenix Wright's personality. I always thought that my memory of the game was that he was kind of like this blank slate of like a main character like, you know, didn't really have like strong opinions or anything. Almost not quite the silent protagonist, but you know what I mean. Um but uh yeah, replaying this game He's he's at
0: times just needlessly sassy. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I love that about him. And you are right that for the most part, Phoenix is not very thoroughly characterized. And I think that's on purpose. You know, in one of our earlier episodes, we talk about how, you know, you never see Phoenix's living space because that's not important. You know, you don't learn a lot of his like preferences about stuff or, you know, a lot of his thoughts on things because you just don't need to know that. But the little bits of characterization we do get from him, I think, are so funny. Because you have Phoenix as a professional, who is a very, you know, I would say, on the outside, well put together, well composed. He is professional. He is direct. You know, you have that person. But then you also have the sort of other side of him, where he's like... In his inner monologue, judging somebody for their shitty looking hot dog stand, <laughs> you know, like he has yeah, this exactly. sort of sassy side. He has this judgmental side that we get to see into because we get his inner <laughs> monologue. And I love whenever that side of him comes out because <laughs> it oh, yeah, it's always about great. really stupid things, you know? So it's just it's just such a little thing, but I love it.
1: Yeah. So so there was just uh, one other line I wrote down here where um, they're talking about the samurai dogs. And uh, Maya says, uh, they're a little behind the times. The kids are on to the pink princess now, which is a good uh, throwback to the previous case, uh, Turnabout Samurai. Yeah. We know, uh,
0: she does have a pretty good point. At this point, the uh, The pink princess has been relevant for a few months now. Yeah. Yeah, I guess um, <laughs> these
1: these fads, you know, come and go pretty quickly in just a couple months. Uh, the kids are done with the Steel Samurai. They're all about the pink princess. Yeah. All right, so now uh, we get, there are a couple of things we can do here. If you examine the lake, um, <laughs> this 100% doesn't matter, but I thought it was some funny dialogue. Um, Maya asks, uh, Nick, why it's called Gord Lake. And Abby, do you remember how it got that name, why it's called Gord Lake?
0: It. It's because they used to grow gourds there. Yeah.
1: So I thought it was because the lake, the lake was shaped like a gourd and apparently started Maya because she's like, oh, I thought it looked like a gourd when you view it from above. And Phoenix is like, well, actually it is shaped like a gourd, but they used to grow gourds here too. And I'm just like, that was like the most pointless like fake out ever. But like, I, I really we don't know, know
0: what to make of this exchange To me, it has the energy of, like, you know, when I was a kid asking my dad questions about stuff and he would just make up an answer, right? Yeah. Like, (laughs) it it has that energy, but a Phoenix presents it with such confidence that, like, did they used to grow gourds there and is it just a coincidence? I actually didn't do any research on, like, gourd growing conditions, but, like, I... I don't uh, feel like Southern California is like the kind of place you would grow gourds. Like, I, maybe I'm wrong, but like,
1: what what about Southern Tokyo? Th- oh, that's true. Maybe in Tokyo they grow gourds. So I I didn't even think about that. I just I just you know kind of laughed at this line, moved on. <laughs> but that's a fair point. Now that we now that we know and appreciate how sassy uh, Nick can be, maybe it is true that he just made that up to like mess with Maya. We don't know. Yeah,
0: I don't I don't know if, like, he made it up and then Maya, like, Maya's like, oh, I thought it was because it's shaped like a gourd. And Phoenix is like, oh, shit, that probably is the actual answer. But I'm just going to yeah. say it's a coincidence. Like, I don't know. I have no idea how to read this one.
1: Yeah. Um, so there's a couple more things you can examine here. Did, I'll, I guess I'll ask you, Abby, did you examine um, anything else at the beach?
0: Uh, well, the other thing is, there is a party popper on one of the benches, and you do need to check that one out for the critical path. Otherwise, there wasn't anything too much of note. Really, the party popper, yeah. you just take a look at it, and Maya's just like, hey, I want that. And Phoenix is like, yeah, sure, I guess. And I guess in-game,
1: it kind of makes sense. So they have this random party popper here, and they say, you know, oh, you see them a lot around New Year's, so this isn't like a complete, you know, deus ex machina. Like, it actually does kind of make sense that yeah, yeah you find this party popper, um, but let's see the the. Um, <laughs> this is funny too when when Maya takes it. Um, you know she's asking Nick if she should take it or not, and you can kind of choose. Um, and if you say like, oh, I suppose it couldn't hurt to take it, Maya says, I already put it in my pocket, which I just appreciate. That's a very Maya thing to do, not even like waiting for permission.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's almost like she acts independently.
1: Yeah. So the only. Other thing that I thought was like worth examining here, Uh, I I examined the trash can, hoping that we would find something inside, and I was disappointed that we did not. Uh, The trash can was empty. Phoenix says, "Well, at least this place is well maintained." And I was like, "Man, this is such like I was using such a video game logic, expecting there to be something there." Like, well, you you know know, what, Pokemon, when you, (laughs) you can find like the rare candy, like the trash barrel.
0: That's just good detective work, right? You're you're checking all your yeah. angles. You're you're looking for evidence. Also, if Phoenix Wright did eat a rare candy, what would he evolve into?
1: Oh. What's like a step so they always make jokes about like, you know, Phoenix wrong, but I feel like he's oh. you no know, Phoenix right. What, what would be what would be a step beyond right and be like, you know, Phoenix Oh yeah, yeah. Or Phoenix yeah, like... Phoenix infallible.
0: <laughs> yeah, Phoenix Absolution. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> something like that. his his hair gets even spikier. Yeah, this is all. Good. Oh my this god, is great.
1: that would be amazing. He's just holding the scales of justice, like the the Super Saiyan three hair down to like his waist, but it's like yes. spiky. Yes, yes. All right. Oh well, you know god.
0: we do, we're gonna have to check every trash can in the series now to see if we can get that rare candy.
1: Yes. All right. Um, here. So at this point. Um, Again, you might have a choice of like what order you want to investigate these things in. Uh, next, I went uh, from the beach to the uh, boat rental shop.
0: Yeah, from the beach, uh, like you said, you can go in one of two directions, to the boat rental shop or the woods. I actually went to the woods first, but uh, yeah, let's go on. Let's take a trip to the boat rental shop. There's really not too much going on over this way. Yeah, it's
1: pretty quiet. There's nobody there. Um, you know, the I guess it's important, you know to kind of get the series of events, you know, obviously this murder took place in a rowboat in the middle of the lake. We now know where these boats come from, uh, but the rental shop is closed um, for Christmas. Uh, so there's really not a whole lot to investigate. Um, but the one thing I thought was kind of funny is my um, remarks that she's uh, never ridden a boat and um, Phoenix says, well, we can go out on one to celebrate when the trial's finished, which now yeah. I'm like, now I'm thinking about it. It's like, Is that true? Does that contradict anything? Maya's like never been in a boat before. And it's like, well, as far as I know, it doesn't. I don't know if they had to retcon that later.
0: I thought it was a pretty sweet exchange. I thought it was kind of nice. And being that Maya comes from the mountains, I think that tracks. Yeah, I guess if she's been living in the city on the coast, it's very likely she just never had any reason to go on a boat. Yeah. But one thing I was thinking of is it, it is December 25th. It's probably yeah. pretty unpleasant to be out on the water right now.
1: Yeah, it is probably super cold out.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much the only thing they uh they really had to say during this scene.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you can examine the boats. Um Phoenix says, like, oh, I wonder if one of these boats was used for the murder. Maya says, I changed my mind, I don't really want to go on a boat ride anymore and uh, Oh, that's right. That's that's pretty much the extent of uh which you can examine here. So at this point, um, now I went to uh, Gord Lake Woods. And would you, Abby, like to describe this scene for our listeners?
0: Yeah, so basically we have a, uh, a nice little little campsite in the Gord Lake Woods. Uh-huh. There is a truck. There is an SUV, uh-huh. SUV which uh-huh. I always kind of like seeing in Ace Attorney, right? We have the van in um, Turnabout Samurai. And now we have this uh-huh. SUV. For some reason, just seeing a, a realistic vehicle rendered on the Game Boy Advance just hits me just right. Well, of course, Phoenix can't drive it because we know he doesn't yeah. have a license. <laughs> right. Phoenix can't drive. We have a camera set up as well with uh, what looks like a boom mic. Uh-huh. Um, And yeah, it's like, I don't know, between, between the truck, the campsite, the camera, it seems like someone has set up a pretty significant operation here. It's kind of it's kinda like what I was describing with uh case one three. In this scene we have no music. There's nobody else here. Uh we just sort of have this empty, vacant space and the sound of birds, right? Yeah. And I always like I kinda like that vibe. Just like I did with um case one three, where it's this sort of like this steady, like tranquil, like quiet vibe of like, all right, you're here now, take your time with it, like Take a look at this yeah. stuff, I guess. I don't know. I like it. There, there's a pretty funny exchange if you take a look at the campsite where um, Maya kind of asks, you know, why is everything made out of uh, aluminum? Right. Why are um, why are pots and pans always made out of aluminum? Right. And but Phoenix yeah. thinks about it. And he's like, well, they don't really talk about that in any of the law books. And Maya, they- like, she gets kind of excited. She's like, OK, so there's no law saying they have to be made out of aluminum. <laughs> I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, and Phoenix is just like, this is so dumb. I, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I really like that exchange. Um, but yeah, pretty much the, there's nothing else too interesting here except for, of course, the camera with the big boom mic. And yes. um,
1: Well, there is one other thing I thought was funny, which was the no camping sign set up that someone set up a campsite right next to.
0: Oh my God, I didn't even notice that. i thought
1: i not to get not to to get sidetracked from like the camera which is the actual you know important thing to this case that we should talk about but i did think it was kind of funny because we're we're soon about to meet uh the character who set up this campsite and i feel like this is kind of the first uh hint we get her first kind of you know characterization which (laughs) apparently she doesn't have much respect for the rules but ah who knows you know what let's put a pin in that and uh We'll talk about the camera no, yeah,
0: first. I I think uh I think it is very in line with the characterization of the uh the camper at this site that we're yeah. going to meet. Um yeah. which we meet very shortly because if you examine the camera, Maya has the very uh very astute idea of using the party popper to see if it'll set off the microphone.
1: Yeah, so she first tries, you know, yelling in front of it and screaming and doesn't seem to do anything and yeah then she has the idea to use the party popper
0: and the camera goes off it starts clicking like it's taken dozens of pictures and uh immediately we have a very upset woman come running out
1: well hold on but just before you introduce this woman uh i would like to point out for our listeners if you are playing the ace attorney drinking game uh please take a drink for this uh sound activated camera that just so happens to get a photo of the murder scene. Very uh, <laughs> yeah. reminiscent of um, what is turn turnabout samurai when they had, you know, the uh, security camera that you know, didn't record a video, but just, I don't know, would snap like individual, like black and white photos. <laughs> um, it, this one, I feel like that one kind of made sense that they would have like a security camera, you know, at this like film studio where, you know, like kids were sneaking onto the lot, trying to see like the steel samurai Here, I mean, we'll learn the reason later, but it seems uh, yeah. very convenient that we have this um, sound-activated camera that, you know, triggers with loud noises, and we know that uh, there was a gunshot that occurred um, at this lake. But please, yeah, continue.
0: I did. I did literally write in my notes um, another automatically triggered camera. Okay, yeah,
1: yeah, automatically triggered cameras and like and clocks that like speak the time
0: (laughs) yeah they love them but you know what i'm not even mad like honestly some of these trends seem so consistent like i i do wonder i'm like is that just where shu takumi's mind goes like is that just like his most like common heuristic right does he just think of (laughs) things in terms of like clocks that talk out loud cameras that are triggered automatically you know stuff like that Or is it intentional? And I don't know if there's any way of resolving that.
1: I'd like to meet uh, Shu Takumi someday. I just imagine, like, instead of, like, a wristwatch, he'll just, like, have a statue that he carries around with him and, like, twist the head and he'll speak the time.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Shu's like, hold on, let me check my watch. And he pulls a giant-ass bust out of his pocket, twists the head, and it's like, I think it's
1: 4.30. Yes, Exactly. All right, so I um, believe you were about to uh, describe this woman, uh, the camper that that we meet.
0: Yeah, so she comes running out after the camera goes off, and um, she she's looking pretty pretty mean. She's looking pretty mad. Uh, she's got mm-hmm. this big orange puffy hair. She's got these brown eyes. Uh, she's wearing a sort of green, you know, windbreaker and a uh, brown turtleneck with a matching <laughs> well, it's more of a beige, really. Uh, with a matching beige headband, uh, big old hoop earrings. And, um, she is, she is very upset. She is very upset. She seems, uh, annoyed. She seems bothered that, uh, the two of them have just set off an entire roll of, uh, film. And, well, uh, she's, yeah. So, so she's, I didn't
1: mean to interrupt, but you, you described, you did an excellent job describing her, uh, physical appearance. The first thing I noticed, uh we talk about her Southern accent.
0: <laughs> like, she's got a real heavy Southern ass a- accent.
1: <laughs> the first thing <laughs> when she sees you and when, you know, she's alerted cause the, the noise from the camera going off and like the party popper, she comes out, she goes, what in the Sam Hill? Get your hands off of that. <laughs> like, yeah. I just absolutely love that. Um, I'd be curious to know like her character and like the original Japanese. Um, I, I'm not quite knowledgeable enough. Do you you know about like the...
0: Yeah. So this is actually not an uncommon thing that happens in English localized uh, material from Japan. Yeah. Uh, Uh Basically, her character is a... uh, And this is my understanding of it. I I may get this not entirely correct. But her character is basically meant to represent a stereotypical person from Osaka. And... Uh um, Apparently, Osaka is a uh, region in Japan known for having unique people. Right, like <laughs> just I, like I, the Ace Attorney games are known for their but, unique people. But basically, they they have a unique character to them that is different from other areas in Japan. And yeah. basically, this is done in not just Ace Attorney, but you know, other anime, other video games. When they try to represent <laughs> Most the Most notably, from... Azumanga Dayo. I don't know wasn't what that
1: is. Wasn't there a character named Osaka? Anyway. Is
0: there? Okay. I thought so. Um, but basically, in localizations, when they are trying to represent the sort of otherness that Osaka has, they will use yeah. American Southern accents, right? Because in a similar yeah. way, a Southern accent in America is sort of a unique trait recognizable by americans if you're an american and you hear someone with a southern accent and you yourself are not southern you recognize that as sort of like other right it's different it's different (laughs) from what is typical in most regions of the united states um yeah so it it's not quite a one-to-one comparison right osaka isn't you know you shouldn't think of it as like the south of uh japan but it does sort of fit that like This is different from other parts of the region.
1: Yeah. So, I, as as a Baka Gaijin, I couldn't uh, remember the the region that this accent comes from. But no, I do appreciate that. That's, uh, it seemed like it'd be a fun job to be like on a localization team and have to, as you said, when you don't have, you know, a one to one exact thing, to try and like be creative in how you reimagine these characters. So,
0: I appreciate it. I think "reimagine" is a good term, right? the The general energy and character of Lotta, from what I believe, uh, yeah, we don't know her name yet, but this character's name is Lotta Hart. The um, general. You know, which,
1: can I just point out another excellent uh, Ace Attorney name pun?
0: Yep, yep, it is real good. Um, but her characterization and the the role she plays is still the same. But yeah, you're right. They do have to sort of reimagine the character, right? In the Japanese yeah. version, they're like, we have this character that is from Osaka. Osaka is a unique region in Japan. What is the, what is the same vibe in an American setting? And um, so, so
1: let me let me jump ahead because now I'm curious. And and listeners, if you don't want to hear anything about the the third game, ah, you know whatever. This is an important plot detail later on when we meet the Canadian judge. Who always ends his sentences
0: with a? What region in Japan was that? Oh my gosh, that's so funny! Yes, in the third game, we do meet the Canadian judge in a uh, in just a brief who, scene. But
1: can I just say, if Charlie the houseplant is my favorite character, I think the the unnamed Canadian judge has got to be a close second.
0: Yes, I think his name is Canadian Judge. <laughs> <laughs> But okay, so I guess the question would be what is the Japanese allegory to America's Canada? And I believe the answer for that is Canada. Yeah, he's just Canadian in the Japanese version as well. I don't know. Hey, you know what? In in two years or whatever, when we get to the third game, we can find out.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so hold on a sec. Uh Hey, so I think you pointed this out, you know, a lot of heart comes out, you know, it, she's angry that, you know, you wasted this roll of film. She's yelling at you. She's saying, I don't think I'm stupid and, like some country bumpkin. <laughs> you think I'm dumb because this, you know, Southern drawl, she's like yelling at you. One of the things she says, like, um, oh, Maya, you know, of course, apologizes very quickly. Um, but she says, you know, sorry, is nice, but it doesn't pay my bills. Y'all know how much a roll of that film costs? Yeah. Abby, do you know how much a roll of film costs? I have no idea. I haven't had my roll of film. <laughs> ever. Uh, you know what?
0: I uh yeah, so I mean I do digital photography so I don't have to worry about things like that. Um but <laughs> her camera seems to be a fairly nice like DSLR camera, right? And um I, I would am- hmm. You know, I do feel like she's probably not using the highest quality film, right? <laughs> Due to you know, what well, we'll learn about her later, let's just say film quality may not be her highest priority. Well, but. then again, based on what we learn later, maybe it is a high priority for her. Um, I don't know, I, I think more than anything, she is saying that just to bully the two of them. Regardless of yeah. whether or not it's true, I think she's just trying to get the rhetorical upper hand on them. Mm. Yeah. So whether or not the film is actually expensive kind of isn't the important part. The important part is that she makes Phoenix and Maya feel bad about what they did.
1: Yeah, no, that's a fair point. Uh, according to my very quick uh, internet search, a roll of 35 millimeter film cost about 10 bucks. So Yeah, that sounds I'll right. Let, I'll let you convert that from, from 2001 dollars. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't know, 20 bucks, that's probably right. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, another thing, by the way, with her exchange, you mentioned that she's like, you know, don't underestimate me because I have a southern drawl or whatever. She does have a line where she says, well, let me tell you, just because I might be dumb don't mean we all are. And honestly, that is (laughs) such a mood. (laughs) That is such a mood
1: to me, if I'm being honest oh, I'm glad you caught that. I can't believe I missed that. It's like, <laughs> it's like, oh, you think we're all dumb. And it's like, well, I might be dumb, but
0: that doesn't mean we all are. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, another line that she drops while she's sort of, you know, angrily bullying Phoenix and Maya, she says, uh-huh. yeah, I know how y'all Yanks think. She uh-huh. refers to them as Yanks, as Yankees, yeah. which are typically uh-huh. used to describe people from the Northeastern United States. This game takes place in California. Why would she assume that about them?
1: Well, mm, what would you call like someone from like California, like a, a hippie? <laughs>
0: I don't know. right. Or I mean, am I wrong? Does a yank just well, hold on? Describe there, there's a any... precedent
1: for that. Didn't didn't someone call Maya a hippie one time because of her like purple like accolade robes? <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I believe that was Wendy Oldbag. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe the two of them just give like big yank energy or something. I don't know.
1: <laughs> Should be like the name of the episode: Big Yank Energy,
0: <laughs> Turnabout Yank. Yeah, How we. I'm sorry, we can't call it. That. Yeah,
1: let's not call it that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so she she's pissed off and she's super uncooperative, right? She doesn't want to yeah. help the two of them like at all. Yeah. So you you
1: wasted her expensive roll of film. Uh, she doesn't want to cooperate. I'm trying to see. Yeah, I think you get a couple of dialogue options, where I'm. Not sure you can actually, like, get any
0: information out of her at this point. Nah. Um, yeah, with all of them, she's just pissed off. Until you show her your attorney's badge. And Phoenix explains that he is a lawyer investigating a murder. And then after that, she is willing to talk.
1: I did. So I did think this part was funny because they... Ah, game. Like, they try and do, like, a little bit of hand-holding here where they're like... You know, Phoenix has his inner monologue. He's like, I wonder if I could have anything I could show her that would, you know, get her attention. But you only have one item in your inventory at this point, so so, so <laughs> which one item in the court record did you choose to show to Lada?
0: <laughs> I mean, honestly, getting the nudge that you are supposed to use the present option at all yeah. is pretty appreciated because sometimes, like me personally, I forget that that's even an option.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I kind of had mixed feelings about this. This might have been, like, a little bit... Well... I think it would have made sense if you actually had, like, more than one item to choose.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I would say, especially when it comes to the investigation stages, I do not mind having my hand held, because they can get a little obtuse at times, especially if you're not paying attention. Yeah, that's fair. And, you know, we talked about this
1: before with, like, the security camera, you know, air quotes, puzzle, like the previous case. So, you know what? Maybe it's fine. Maybe I shouldn't. Yeah, uh, Maybe complain about this the the hand holding is probably fine because this game is not about you know being super clever about solving puzzles it's about it's about playing phoenix right it's about it's definitely not about the law or even reality it's about <laughs> it's about you know investigating and pointing and yelling yeah. objections so you know what i yeah. I, ta- I retract my previous criticism this is fine
0: look if you want to solve puzzles go play mist ah
1: shout out to uh my my stream on twitch follow me at mish cosplay
0: <laughs> shout out to misha's stream on twitch where she's playing mist right now hell yeah we love <laughs> to see it that game has some obtuse puzzles but but that's neither here nor there <laughs> but yeah this one's pretty simple we show her the attorney's badge and she basically introduces herself as Lada Hart, heart and she says she is photographing meteors for a research project and then yeah. Yeah, she pretty much has that change of heart pretty much immediately. The, t- the change of a lot of heart. <laughs> yeah. And um, she's pretty much willing to talk now. She's willing to give you yep. some details. Yes, that's right. Phoenix is finally some cooperation. Uh, yeah. So I think you get a couple of dialogue options at this
1: point. Um, let's see. Uh, so you can ask her, you know, what happened. You uh, kind of rehash some of the events for her benefit. You know, Phoenix Wright tells her that, there was a man on a boat who was shot last night. He asks, you know, did you see anything? Um, she can't, apparently can't remember at first. She says she's been on this lake uh, for a good three days now. And she's seen like a bunch of boats in that time and doesn't remember specifically. She had a funny line where she said, uh, I seen enough boats to choke a mule. And I'm like, <laughs> how many boats does it take to choke a mule? How many do you think? I mean, like point. Three? Like Yeah, like I was gonna say even. like less less than one, like one tenth yeah. of a boat, I think, would be enough. <laughs> um so yes, you can ask her, um she saw what happened. You know, apparently she doesn't remember either that or is unwilling to tell you or help you. You can ask about Lada herself. She, you know, tells you some information. She says she's a research student at Country U in the heart of the heartland. She tells you that uh you know, she's photographing meteor showers, which we might have already known. Um, you can ask about the camera, <laughs> she tells you. It's um, a genuine uh, German-made, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Solingen, which apparently is the city known for making kitchen knives, uh, not yep. cameras, but... Whatever, you know you know the Germans make good stuff, so...
0: <laughs> yep, Solingen is in fact known as the City of Blades, and it has been yeah. a center of blacksmithing for over 2,000 years. So, yeah. unless you plan on getting your DSLR camera out of a forge, that's probably was... not a super relevant pedigree. Yeah, exactly. But um, I guess it's not a non-relevant pedigree, right, if you're importing your camera from Germany? I guess.
1: <laughs> Finally sharpened camera <laughs> uh,
0: yeah yeah i've got the finest blacksmiths in the land to, to sharpen my camera yeah i believe that that adds the camera to your court record as evidence at that point
1: yeah and you learn uh importantly well we probably could have already figured this out but a tells you that uh right now her camera is programmed to pick up loud noises yeah um so then, uh, yeah, you get the camera added to your court record. Immediately after that, you can present the camera to Lauda to get some more information. Phoenix Ray asks kind of the obvious question, which is, well, there was a murder that occurred last night. A man was shot with a pistol, which obviously would have been loud. You know, did you get a photo of the murder?
0: Yeah, and she she seems, like, pretty surprised by that. She's like, oh, damn, I haven't thought about that. You're right. And she, like pretty much immediately like runs off to go get the photos like developed and like check to see if she did catch the murder on camera and she seems very excited by this she seems pretty excited at the prospect of you know having caught something significant on her camera at this point she does tell you to come back later after she's had a chance to look over her film (laughs) i don't think she tells you that i think she just leaves (laughs) maya's like uh maybe we should come back later Uh, yeah i think you're right And one thing I did note here is that I feel like this is actually a pretty effective storytelling strategy. What I've written as the come back later strategy, where the story basically gives you like a portion of information and then a character has some reason to leave. Yeah. For example, earlier Gumshoe did that, right? Where he didn't have the autopsy report, but he says, hey, come back later to the precinct and we'll hook you up. And now Lada is doing the same thing, you know? She says, oh, yeah, I'll get this photo, but come back later and you can see it. It keeps you invested in each of the different components of the investigation without just outright giving you everything at once. So it's like, okay, we've gotten everything from this angle now, but I guess we'll put a pin in it and come back later. It, I think it works pretty well, even if it feels a little contrived.
1: No, I agree. It is effective uh, storytelling. That's, you know, what Ace Attorney does. I keep saying, you know, they give you, like, enough, like, breadcrumbs to, like, keep you wondering, and I guess, um, because, you know, previously we learned about, you know, the DL-6 incident where people kept, you know, kind of name-dropping this famous case from 15 years ago that we haven't yet learned the details of, and you're like, wait, what is that? So I guess what you described, uh, I like that the the comeback later (laughs) scenario is... Maybe a specific example of that, the the ace attorney breadcrumbs.
0: Yeah, it's it is just one of those things that I think the game is remarkably good at doing. What what I guess yeah. you would consider information management. But yeah, so that <laughs> yeah. pretty much wraps up our investigation at Gord Lake for the time being. Um yeah. there are no real further areas that are worth investigating. And uh-huh. actually it's funny we mentioned this because it is time for one of our come-back-later threads to sort of pay off.
1: Yes. Back to the, uh, not back to, uh, we go to the Criminal Affairs Department um, to meet uh, Detective Gumshoe. So when you arrive, um, he's uh, just leaving this uh, meeting, this uh, briefing they were having at the precinct. So he says, you know, thanks for coming down, pal. Gumshoe says, "Uh, we just finished the meeting, for better or for worse. Um, Phoenix says, I get the feeling we're about to hear some bad news. Um, so you can do a couple things at this point. I think you get some some dialogue options here with our friend, uh, Detective Gumshoe. Uh, you can ask about the victim. He says uh, they still haven't ID'd him. Um, you know, Edgeworth apparently hasn't said anything yet uh, regarding the murder. You can ask um, about the meeting. I'm trying to see if there was anything important there.
0: Yeah, basically he just says that he can't officially talk about the meeting but um, he does end up sort of inadvertently revealing that the trial is in fact proceeding and that um, he indicates that they are officially suspecting uh, Miles Edgeworth.
1: Yeah, so I think the only really important thing here uh, gets more characterization for Gumshoe. He says, do me a favor and stand by Mr. Edgeworth.
0: Yeah, Yeah, which does lead into another dialogue we have with um, Gumshoe, which is about why he trusts Edgeworth and i thought this was kind of interesting and maybe potentially problematic so gumshoe explains that he trusts edgeworth because edgeworth trusts the investigators to get the right person which is why he always pushes for a guilty verdict right yeah so it's kind of circular gumshoe trusts edgeworth because edgeworth trusts gumshoe and they sort of have this unyielding faith in each other and it's that trust that allows miles to be so relentless in his pursuit for a guilty verdict the thing is <laughs> what's the thing as the previous two cases have shown the yeah. investigators don't always get the right person how many innocent people has gumshoe helped miles edgeworth convict you know i
1: didn't think about that but that's a fair point and kind of depressing. There's probably a lot of innocent people in jail right now (laughs) that have got guilty verdicts for. You know, the police in this universe do seem kind of bumbling. So (laughs) that doesn't make me feel great. (laughs) A lot of innocent people in, in jail in this fictional world.
0: Yeah, if it wasn't for Phoenix in Turnabout Samurai, you know, this process would have got Will Powers wrongfully arrested. Yeah, it's true. And I think that's maybe part of the point, right? Gumshoe is describing this, you know, cycle of of trust and faith, but the the investigation team is suspecting Miles, right? Yeah. So how can Gumshoe really resolve that sort of disconnect there when clearly he doesn't believe the investigators got the right person this time? And then similarly, Miles's faith in this system was shaken in the previous case. Where, you yeah. know, during that third act twist, he s- doesn't believe the investigators ha- got the right person anymore. I-, I feel like what Gumshoe is describing here is sort of a closed loop in the judicial system that does not consider the defense. And I <laughs> think part of both his arc and Miles's arc is reconsidering where they exist in the justice system and whether it should be a closed loop like that. Yeah,
1: you're definitely right about that, especially in the last case when Edgeworth kind of goes from, you know, the ruthless prosecutor, only wants a guilty verdict, to someone who really does care about getting to the truth. Um, yeah. I feel like Gumshoe said something similar in the previous case. There was It was a three-day trial, if I remember right, and <clears throat> towards the end it seemed pretty obvious that Will Powers couldn't have been the killer. So... At one point, I remember you talked to Gumshoe and he was saying that there was kind of some disagreement among the police where, you know, some people said they should, you know, continue to pursue their case against Will Powers and others said, you know, they should drop it and he's obviously innocent. So I think, I'm not sure if Gumshoe himself voiced his like personal opinion there, but I got the sense that he was kind of willing to change his mind when you discovered new evidence as opposed to, you know just, like, sticking to their original, like, oh, we gotta, this guy's a criminal, like, we gotta arrest him, like, he's, um, you know, he's similar to Edgeworth, he doesn't just want a guilty verdict, like, he wants to get to the truth.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Right now, Gumshoe has this sort of very simple perspective of investigators pick a guy, prosecutor prosecutes the guy. But I think, as you say, in the previous case, and probably throughout the rest of his arc, he is seeming like he's getting a greater appreciation for the externalities of this system and where the actual truth fits into it. So, yeah, Yeah. I thought that was an interesting sort of exchange. That was an interesting dialogue option. The last thing that we could sort of talk to Gumshoe about is the autopsy report. Um, And basically, Gumshoe has it ready now. Um, The autopsy report details that the death is due to a bullet wound on Uh either the 24th or the 25th. It happened at midnight so hard to say and um we we get to see the victim uh and Uh maya remarks that she has a feeling that she met him somewhere a long time ago yeah when you show her the photo of the victim she says that face she
1: recognizes him
0: yeah, she seems a little shaken by by that realization and doesn't really elaborate. It's all very mysterious.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Have more on that later. More, more. Yeah, Ace attorney breadcrumbs.
0: And that's pretty much all we get from our dialogue with Gumshoe. There, there are a few, just I think, kind of amusing things about the um, the precinct. Right, it, it's a pretty neat and tidy looking office, very open concept. It looks like the oh, officers... Oh, yeah, we didn't, then... we
1: didn't talk about the things you can examine. I'm glad you yeah, remembered.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we can examine the um, chief of detectives at the, the sort uh-huh. of head desk in the office, and it seems like he's just, like, reading tabloid news articles while all the investigators are, like, out investigating. Yeah. And then there is one little detective in the corner muttering to himself about arresting criminals. And... Uh-huh. Phoenix remarks that he must be doing quote image training. Now, yeah. Mish, I don't, Can you help me out on this? What is image training? Ah, uh, he's
1: probably playing one of those old timey. I don't know what I'm trying to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying right. To name a video game that deals with like investigating crimes.
0: Yeah, is it like an arrest simulator or like what? What does that mean? image training. So I looked into it, right? <laughs> and as look, maybe I'm missing a, a critical source here or something. But the only reference I could find for something called image training is Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> um the, the technique is used in Dragon Ball Z wherein <laughs> uh Characters visualize scenes in their head to cr- uh-huh. to to increase their capabilities. So uh-huh. basically, they're they're. I, I don't know the details because I haven't watched Dragon Ball Z, but I watched a few scenes oh, you're of this. i you missing out! It's great. It it seems like what they do is they sort of sit cross legged on their flo- on the floor, and they uh-huh. imagine themselves having like you know, a big fight with, like, you know, the bad guy or whatever. Again, I don't know Dragon Ball Z. And in their head, they sort of play out how these fights go in vivid detail, and that's supposed to sort of prepare them for, you know, the actual fight. And, you know, no doubt, visualization, you know, is a good psychological technique. It is a good way to sort of uh, manage anxiety about something that, you know, you may be expected to do. But... (laughs) But that specific phrasing, image training, I could <laughs> only find it related to Dragon Ball Z. So I don't I don't know if that's what this detective is doing. It looks like he sat at a computer, but I really do like to imagine that he's sitting there, eyes closed at the desk, just really like lost in the sauce of his visualization, like imagining himself arresting, you know, perps or whatever. But I don't know. I thought that was a very funny. I thought that was a very funny sort of uh scene.
1: He should uh, go like sit under a freezing cold waterfall to do this uh, image yes. training. Yes.
0: Yes, visual training under a freezing cold waterfall. You love to see it. So, uh, on the topic of things
1: to examine, did you did you examine the blue badger?
0: I, oh my gosh. Uh I don't know that I had the blue badger.
1: This might this might be a difference.
0: Yes, you're. I'm playing on the DS version. You're playing on the Switch remaster, right? I am. So, all right.
1: I didn't even realize that until I until I asked it, and I was like, "No, if you're naming things, you examine here. You gotta examine the blue Badger. So, the blue badger is like the police, like mascot who comes up in the uh, bonus uh, fifth trial, uh, "Rise from the Ashes," which was added, you know, in future releases. But yeah, if you're playing, so I guess they kind of. Uh, retconned the blue badger this mascot into like previous cases to keep this uh continuity going but yeah if you're playing the original game it would make sense that he's uh not there anyway i was about to ask you why this mascot doesn't actually look like a badger it looks like a i don't know kind of goofy like cartoon it looks like sonic the hedgehog it looks like sonic the hedgehog he's blue and spiky it looks
0: like sonic the hedgehog
1: i guess he's kind of like shaped like a police badge almost, or that's what they're trying to go for with his head with, like, the spikes or whatever. I don't know. It's silly. But I guess the the chief of detectives uh, came up with the idea for their mascot, so so now you know.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of funny. I I do like the idea of them just keeping the blue badger in the office, because I guess what else are you going to do with it? I like to imagine that's the the chief detective's, like, pet project that he's really proud of that just, like, nobody else is super enthused about. (laughs) Yes. So they're just like, yeah, uh, I guess we'll keep it in here. Like, whatever. But you know what? I'll I'll have to look into this and maybe follow up in the next episode because I swear to God the Blue Badger was not in my copy of the game. (laughs) So I don't (laughs) know if they maybe added him in there because uh, he shows up in the, uh, you know, bonus fifth case. Um, or maybe I just have really bad memory.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm really curious now. You're, you're probably right that the blue badger didn't appear in your version of the game, but now I'm very curious. It'd be interesting if you, if you play it and realize the badger was there the whole time and you just didn't notice it and be like the, the Berenstein bears effect.
0: It's very possible, but I think this could be some groundbreaking reporting on our part.
1: Yeah, exactly. You heard it here first.
0: You heard it here first. All right. So that's pretty much all we got at the precinct. Uh, where did you head to next? So I might have
1: done things out of order and it might have honestly just, well, I guess there is no out of order eventually yeah. when get to the same point. But um, I was kind of unsure where to go next because I thought we'd investigated, you know, everything at the lake. So I went back to uh, the Wright and Co. law offices. Yeah. Is that is that where you went to? No, I went to the woods. Oh. Well, we're going to talk <laughs> well, we... about the law offices because- Yep. All right, so um, I went there, and um, I I guess you wouldn't really know to go here. Like I said, I just kind of chose this randomly because I felt like I'd been everywhere else. Um, But once you head back to the law offices, uh, Maya asks you to show her the autopsy report uh, one more time. And she sees the photo of the victim, and she remembers. She says, ah, I remember this guy. He's a a lawyer that was at the office where Mia worked. So... um, jogs your memory it's like wait you mean uh grossberg's office so at this point you get a, a new um location available that you can go visit you can go back to uh grossberg's law office there is one funny line uh before you leave um if you present the autopsy report uh to maya she says um she goes let's go talk to him mr grossberg i mean not the dead guy and it's like <laughs>
0: Maya. Which is maybe not as ridiculous a thing to say, given the circumstances. Oh, shoot. I didn't think about that.
1: Yeah, because she is a spirit medium. She could talk to the dead guy. That is totally a thing she could do. Oh, man, that's funny. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. All right, so then um, at this point, I went to the Grossberg Law Office. Um, yeah, you gotta. I, yeah, so, I mean, you once you have this option available,
0: although... Um, so you really are in for, weirdly, kind of, I feel a cold welcome when you <laughs> enter the Grossberg Law Offices, when you visit the Grossberg Law Offices. He's still out as usual. So you, it, it's kind of funny because you have this dramatic scene with Maya and you really can't follow up on it. Yeah. Uh, so instead we just head back into the woods, I guess. Yeah, you're right. So, man, I've mixed feelings about this. You know what?
1: I, I, I'm like... I feel like I have two different ideas going on in my head at once. On, on the one hand, this seems like kind of good storytelling, like the similar to like the come back later thing, where it's like you go to the location and the character's not there and you have to return later. So it's like it kind of forces you to get this information like piecemeal. You know, you have to go from location to location and investigate different things. And like, that's great. That's, you know, how the Ace Turnagans should work. But this particular example seems a bit contrived where it's like, you know, Maya has this revelation of like, Oh my God, I know this man. And you worked for a law offices. So we got to go there right now. And you go there and it's anticlimactic. Like he's just not yeah. there. And it's like, well, it, it's, it, it reminds it's a, me of, of the, oh, it's like the previous case where, um, what is it was a term about samurai where we hear this loud noise from the trailer and you think something happened. You're like, Oh my God, are we going to like investigate? We need to go to the guard station and get the key. And then you go there and, they won't give you the key. And it's like, well, that was a dead end. <laughs>
0: it was, yeah. Kind of it, felt like that. It's a comeback later loop without sort of the initial setup, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's like, come on game, you haven't you haven't earned this comeback later.
0: I think what they're trying to do here is the dialogue we have with Grossberg is one of the more significant dialogues in this investigation. And uh, where we're going right now, you know, we're returning to the woods to get that photo from Lada is sort of a lesser, I think, discussion. So I think (laughs) the game is trying to kind of just tidy up the smaller conversations first before we get to sort of the bigger ones in this investigation. So, yeah, it's a little contrived. It's a little like I don't think it's executed amazingly, but I think I see why they did it this way. Yeah. But yeah, so that's what we do. We uh, go back to the Gord Lake Woods.
1: So so let's go back to the the Gord Lake Woods. Um, You get to talk to Lada. She informs you that her automatic camera took two pictures last night. So, again, for the Ace Attorney drinking game, uh, take a drink for two photos. This is uh, reminiscent of... Yeah, they love getting two photos... It's very reminiscent. It's got like big uh, Cody Hackens energy where it's like, (laughs) it's like, oh, I I took two photos, but, but you don't want this one. It's, it's not important. Let's talk about this other photo. And then, you know, you go through a whole bunch of rigmarole and malarkey. And then it's like, oh no, wait, this other photo was actually important. So (laughs) more on that later.
0: Ace Attorney will really say, oh, don't worry about this second photo. It's not important. Wink. Yeah, it's like, bruh, let me be the judge <laughs> of that. I'll tell you if it's important. Yeah, like uh like a character will really be like, oh I'm sorry, it's like blurry or whatever, it's not important. And you're like, uh uh-uh, uh, no. It yeah. wouldn't exist if it was unimportant. Yeah.
1: Um, so so she informs you that uh that her automatic camera took two photos. Um she shows you uh, one of them. It's like you see you know the two figures in the boat, and one of them Is holding a pistol. It's like the exact moment of the murder because, again, the camera was triggered by the noise from the gun. Um, But you can't see who's shooting. It's just kind of two shadowy figures. Um, Lada has a funny line. She says, uh, of course you can't see. There was enough fog out there last night to strangle a bullfrog. So, Abby, how how much fog is required to strangle a bullfrog?
0: So that one is probably actually like a lot of fog, I would think. Yeah. Yeah, frogs seem like pretty right. hardy creatures. So I would say very many fogs. Yeah, like five fogs. You have probably five fogs plus even. <laughs> um, but yeah, after that, she asks if she should talk to the cops. And it's well, kind of funny. On, this, there, there's yeah, one thing
1: just to set the scene for that. Um, Lada says, you know, seeing these photos reminded me of something. You're like, what, what did it remind you of? She goes, I saw the murder happen. I'm a witness. <laughs> And they're just like, Are are you serious? So so please take <laughs> another drink for a witness uh pulling the shenanigans. Usually they wait until the courtroom to do this, but but the the shenanigans of oh by the way, I just remembered, and they're like, You just remembered this is hugely important. You witnessed the yeah, like murder.
0: We, we literally talked about you know this during our last meeting, and it didn't occur to you to maybe tell me that you were a witness.
1: Yeah. So, so then, and then you were about to mention this. She asked if she should talk to the cops.
0: Yeah. And, and yeah, you have the option to either say, yeah, you should go talk to the cops or no, you shouldn't talk to the cops. And, uh, if, if you say, yeah, you should talk to the cops. She's like, first of all, don't make fun of my accent. Second of all, I'm going to go do it. And then if Uh... you say no, she says, ah, you can't pull one over on me. I'm going to go talk to the cops anyway.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of these where it's like the illusion of choice where <laughs> like your choices really don't matter. I feel like this was one of the more egregious examples where it truly makes zero difference.
0: Yeah, but it's fine. Either case ends up with her sort of just running off without another word and going to talk to the cops. Um, yeah.
1: And then she says, she goes, and before she leaves, she goes over here, have this photo.
0: Right. So yeah, with her departure, you are left with, photo evidence and you do also have the reasonable knowledge that Lada will probably be te- testifying during tomorrow's trial. Yeah. Now I did add in my notes here that Lada very specifically does not hand over the second photo she told you that she has. Again, uh, yeah. Probably would have been helpful or not, but let us judge that.
1: So that that was frustrating for sure, but I kinda give that one a free pass because I'm like, whatever, man, this is how the ace attorney games work. They gotta give you the breadcrumbs, yeah. they gotta they gotta give us the second
0: photo, but they're not gonna give you the second
1: photo. You have to like work to earn it. So
0: I'm actually fine well, with that. It has to be delivered to you at a dramatically appropriate time. Yes. <laughs> now, one thing that the astute may notice is that Gumshoe did already mention that they had a witness. So, Lada is clearly not the witness he was talking about. Mm -hmm. So, for those of you keeping track, that is now two people who had supposedly witnessed this murder, the second of which is unknown to us. Which I actually like
1: this because this is another thing that happens often in Ace Attorney games where it's like, you know, you have to investigate the crime scene. You can't, you know, just choose not to investigate something like you know you have to do all this to trigger the events to you know lead up to the next like you know courtroom scene but it's one of those things where it's like it becomes increasingly frustrating because it's like the more you investigate like the worse it seems for your client it's like oh yep. wait they're actually it's like um you know it's like oh my god they found him you know at the scene of the murder and he's got you know his fingerprints on the gun like this looks terrible and it's like you investigate and it's like oh there's a witness oh, by the way, there is a photo of the moment yeah. the gun was fired. Oh, by the way, there's actually two witnesses. You're like, God, this is just getting worse and
0: worse. <laughs> like, yeah, all of these cases generally start out with like, wow, this is looking really bad for our client. And then the more you get into it, it's like, oh, it's so much worse than we had thought. Yeah. And it's probably important to note that at this juncture, Phoenix is not officially representing Miles. For all intents and purposes, Phoenix yeah. actually doesn't have any skin in the game. He does not need to be a part of this trial. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. So
1: so he's not even like officially like defending Edgeworth. He's just going around collecting evidence that makes Edgeworth's case look even worse. It's almost like he's acting against him.
0: Officially, Phoenix is just a concerned citizen right now.
1: Yeah. Well you did you did at least get Gumshoe's permission to investigate. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you're right.
0: Yeah, so he can just bounce at any time, but of uh-huh. course we do have sort of the personal element here that Phoenix and Miles are longtime friends and yes. he wouldn't just abandon him like that. So that's that's kind of, you know, what keeps the stakes uh, you know, pretty high in this case is that personal investment, which I think is worth more than anything else.
1: Yeah. So we went off on a little bit of a a tangent there, but an important one. Uh, But in any case, um, you know, Lotta leaves the scene. She goes off to talk to the cops. Um, There was one kind of funny line I wrote down. I feel like I point out all these silly kind of southernisms that Lotta says, um, just because I imagine the localization team had so much fun uh, writing her dialogue. But as she's leaving, Phoenix is like, wait, Lotta, what did you see? And she says... I'd sooner eat the south side of a northbound skunk than tell you.
0: Dang. Yeah, that's pretty so the, good. I gotta, I gotta use that.
1: Yeah. So, so she uh, has that one last line, and then uh, she departs the scene. Uh, so yeah, they're just kind of left saying, "All right, I guess we'll find out in the trial tomorrow." So this might be another. Point where you have some freedom about where to go next. I think um, at this point I went back to the beach. Is that what you did next?
0: Uh yes, yeah, that's where I went after this. All right, cool. So
1: I remember th- this. Is, <laughs> this is the part in all these investigations where um, you know you get more and more locations that are accessible to you. You can go. You know, first you start out in the right in Co. Offices, and Co. offices. You can go to the detention center. You talk to you know to talk to Edgeworth. You get all these different scenes surrounding, you know, Gourd Lake, um, eventually you get the, uh, police station, you get, um, you know, now we have uh, the Grossberg Lofts. So, so you see all these places you can go to. And and I get, I reach the point where in these Ace Attorney, you know, investigation phases where I just kind of start floundering, you know, <laughs> not, not sure, like, what do I need to do to move the plot along? So eventually I, I settled on going to the uh, Gord Lake Public Beach. And you can tell you get this visual indicator where you go to one of these scenes and you see the green text scrolling at the bottom of the screen and it will name the location and it'll say, you know, December 25th, Gord Lake Public Beach. And it's like, Ah, oh, yeah, I picked the right location. So, you know, so I, I
0: do agree that. Yeah, that, that green text indicator that shows up whenever you are in a location with new information is it's very clutch. helpful, especially yeah. in some of the later cases where you just don't know where to go. Now, in this specific case, when you're done at the Gord Lake woods, uh, the yeah. only location you can directly travel to is the Gord Lake public beach. So it's hard to get too lost at this point. Oh man, was it? All right, then maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Uh, I wrote wrote in my notes that
1: I saw the green text and I got all excited, but shoot, that one's on me. Maybe it it was the case that it's the only location I could choose. There were other times later though where- Yeah, um, yeah, there
0: are definitely times where it feels that way. All right.
1: So um, we arrive at the uh, beach and let's see. We we meet we meet a new character. Would you would you like to describe who greets us at the beach?
0: We meet Santa. We meet
1: Santa. It is uh, Christmas Day, and we see uh, Saint Nick himself. <laughs> Which Maya even remarks, "Nick and Saint Nick." I see the connection. Um, I I wrote down that line too. <laughs> it was so good. I love I love these Ace Attorney puns. Um, but Maya says, um, <laughs> "Nick, I think Santa's mad at you," um, and of course. uh, says, uh, Phoenix says, don't be ridiculous. And we see, uh, Santa says, dude, it's me. And, uh, Phoenix is like, Larry. So of course, as we know by this point, when something smells, it's usually the butts. So we meet our old friend, uh, Larry butts and, um, you know, Phoenix obviously confused to see him wearing the Santa suit, you know, lurking around this, uh, murder scene. So Larry says, you know, oh isn't isn't it obvious I'm working my day job. I sell uh, samurai dogs.
0: So I love this because there is no shot. There is no shot that these samurai dogs are officially recognized by Global Studios. There is no <laughs> way he got the IP rights to sell uh steel samurai branded merchandise. Um uh-huh. which I don't think he does. I don't think it's a I don't think it's officially Steel Samurai branded. I think it's just Samurai branded. What I'm saying is he is essentially running the equivalent of one of those, like, knock-off, like, carnival stalls that sells, like, Among Us merchandise.
1: Oh, yeah, like the brand X.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And honestly, I would not expect anything else for Mr. Larry Butts. the
1: bottom shelf of the supermarket where you've got, like, the... The name brand, you know, Fruit Loops cereal, and then, like, the off-brand, you know, fruit-flavored rainbow rings. That's uh, (laughs) his thing with these uh, samurai dogs.
0: Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, samurai of nondescript metallic origin dogs. Yeah. Uh,
1: So, so you have some dialogue with uh, with Larry Butts. Um, You learn he's working his day job, you know, selling hot dogs. Uh, He says, I got to get money for my dates, you know. My girl, Keonce, deserves the best, which is a new girl we meet. Uh, Yep. (laughs) Of course, Keonce, lead singer of Kestonie's Child.
0: Um, Hey, that's a pretty big get for Larry.
1: Yeah. Um, (laughs) And then Phoenix Wright, being the the sassy character that he is, he kind of rolls his eyes. He's like, oh, no, I hope she's not another model. (laughs) Like, for Larry trying to, like, you know, keep up this... Lavish lifestyle that these models expect, you know, through his job of selling hot dogs, which I can't imagine pays super well, but Larry seems to do pretty <laughs> well for himself, you know,
0: yeah, he mentioned that business has been doing pretty well <laughs> now, one thing I do wonder about, right, is, um regarding the samurai dogs, Larry Butt says the samurai thing was Kianse's idea. oh, yeah, she's my woman, you know, she's all quote change the name and you go girlfriend she made me that banner man the kids can't get enough of those samurai dogs now the the line like you go girlfriend sounds more like something kyanse would say to like a buddy right like a friend like rather than a romantic partner and i wonder if that's kind of what the game is trying to get at here that the relationship (laughs) is very one-sided that kyanse sees larry as like a friend like you know, like a girlfriend rather yeah. than like a romantic partner. But on the other hand, she did make him the banner and she did make him the costume and is invested in his business. So, I mean, if she's a friend, she's a very supportive friend. I just don't maybe, know if this relationship she's more of is... more a business
1: partner. She wants to get some of that sweet samurai um, dog revenue.
0: Yeah, there you go. That might be maybe... <laughs> maybe Keonce is like actually pretty conniving.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe. I don't... I I'm very interested in the characterization of this uh this side character that we will never meet, by the way. It's
1: kinda of disappointing that we never get to meet any of Mary's know various, uh, various supermodel girlfriends. There's we've got Keonse who was like an unseen character. We've got, you know, Cindy Stone, his first girlfriend who gets murdered. Sorry, yeah. what you're gonna say. <laughs>
0: No, I I personally think that Kiansei is probably just a very supportive friend to Larry, and Larry, being the guy that he is, interprets it as romantic interest. Um, Yes, that is very uh, Larry Butts-like. I genuinely forget if we actually get any payoff on that, or if that plot point kind of just disappears. I guess, you know, I guess we'll find out together. Yeah, exactly.
1: As we continue to play through this game, there's probably like an after credits scene at the, you know when we finish the game the credits are rolling we'll, we'll see larry butts make another appearance we'll have to see what
0: happened with the uh, key yeah
1: i'm pretty i'm predicting that things didn't work out but he'll be like super hype about like a new girl he's met
0: yep i'm very invested in this
1: relationship now same um <laughs> so there at this point uh larry notices maya this is the, apparently the first time these two characters have met and there's this this i actually thought was genuinely funny there was kind of a series of like miscommunications first Larry apparently assumes that uh Maya is Phoenix's girlfriend he goes he goes who's she she's not your and Phoenix is like what no she's not and um you know Maya explains like uh I'm the little sister you know referring to like me as little sister but Larry's like oh wow Nick it must be tough having to like Work this nine to five job as an attorney, and then take care of your little sister. So he just like, <laughs> I just thought that like back to back like, miscommunication was funny. He just doesn't get who Maya is.
0: He misinterprets it like twice.
1: Yeah, and then you know I think you try and explain it, eventually just give up. They're like, and Phoenix is like, ah, don't don't worry, Maya. He's not even listening.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it is the information is rolling squarely off of his smooth brain.
1: Yes. Smoother than polished marble. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I think at this point, just going through that, uh, kind of unlocks some new dialogue options. What did you do next? Did you uh, talk to Larry some more? Did you kind of examine the scene?
0: Um, so Larry has some more information to deliver about his relationship with Phoenix and Edgeworth. He describes that, you know, the three of them were all friends as kids. And very interestingly, he reveals that Miles Edgeworth wanted to be a defense attorney like his father.
1: We, we do learn some uh, important information about Edgeworth's uh, backstory. We learn that his uh, father was a famous uh, defense attorney. And then, <laughs> you know, Edgeworth was always talking about wanting to um, follow in his father's footsteps, you know. Um, i trying to see if the phrase they used here this and he's basically like, I need to work hard to be like father, but then um, ends up doing the exact opposite, and instead of becoming a defense attorney, becomes a prosecutor.
0: Yeah, there's really, but uh, Larry is not able to give much of an explanation for that. He seems surprised to hear that Edgeworth is a prosecutor now, because as a kid, Edgeworth apparently was always talking about defending the weak, and defending yes. people who were unable to defend themselves, and he was always very, like, into, you know a man's duty to society and like stuff like that yeah so yeah neither uh larry nor phoenix are really sure what changed his mind and made him become a prosecutor and it kind of is just left at that this is i i feel a very interesting conversation because it comes from larry who really isn't invested in any of this at all on a personal (laughs) level and just kind of drops that because to him, it's an unremarkable detail. But to us, it kind of recontextualizes a lot of what we knew about Edgeworth.
1: Yeah, that was actually a pretty big reveal. You know, in the beginning, we just knew that he was like this ruthless prosecutor who only cares about getting a guilty verdict. And then, you know, in the previous case, um, Turnabout Samurai, we learned, no, he, there's, he's like more complex character than that. And he actually does care about getting to the truth. And now, you know, we learn that you know, originally he wanted to be a defense attorney and, like, defend the weak, um, but something must have changed uh to make him go on the exact opposite career path.
0: Yeah, it's, I don't know, it, it's a very interesting reveal that is revealed very casually, and I kind of like yes. that. Yeah,
1: it's, it's got uh, big uh, Penny Nichols vibes when she was just, like, it, oh yeah, that, <laughs> that incident from five years ago, somebody died on set, we're like, what?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, other than that, uh, Larry has some words about Gordy. Yeah, this is something that previously was mentioned very briefly on the television program at the beginning of the case. But basically, Larry explains that there was a monster spotted at Gord Lake named Gordy. And he shows you a news article about it, right? Yes. Where a couple describes their experience trying to take a photo of themselves Mm -hmm. at the lake And right when they set up for the photo, they heard a loud bang, like an explosion, followed the sound of something slipping into the water. And you could see in the photo what looks like a sort of long-necked creature slinking off into the water. Yeah, exactly. Um... Yeah, Larry gives uh, Phoenix the news article and kind of leaves it at that. Yeah,
1: so I think uh, you said this, but yeah, when they when they first saw this creature, there was like a loud bang followed by the sound of something slipping in the water, and you know, I instantly thought, you know, like, wait, what was that sound? Was it a gunshot? Was it something else? Like, what was this? And we're gonna have to wait and find out because well,
0: it's it's the might and power of Gordy itself slipping in yeah, the exactly. water, yeah, exactly, obviously.
1: Uh, obviously. Um, oh, I do I do like this um, a- after you. Well, like you know, when Fe- he doesn't just give you uh, the newspaper article, uh, Phoenix says, "Oh, can I hold on to that?" And um, Larry says, "Sure, no problem. That'll be one million dollars." It's just like, ah, Larry, you're such a, you're such a scooch.
0: Yes, yeah, Larry is such a scoochone. <laughs> I love it.
1: Oh man, I love it. You're picking up on my like, my yeah. nanny's like speech patterns.
0: <laughs> I'm absorbing it into my my personality. But yeah, that pretty much ends our, our scene over at Gord Lake. After that, we're free to return back to um, the Grosberg Law Offices at this point. Uh, Grosberg has returned to the offices, and um, yeah, we could talk to him now.
1: Yes, we can. Let me find the place in my notes where that was. <laughs> Sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit. Um, yes, okay. So this is when we
0: return to the Grosberg Law Offices. He's actually there this time. Um. so the two of them get a pretty like a pretty chilly reception at Grossberg's uh-huh. law offices I think yeah. this is something that's interesting about Grossberg's characterization is that he's very warm and polite but uh. what you get from his actual character is honestly kind of kind of rude and kind of cold right so when he, he enters and by clearing his throat is that what you're talking about yeah well, there's that, and then also, he doesn't recognize Phoenix or Maya, right? So, yeah, I definitely remember that, and um, maybe I just thought about
1: it differently. I didn't think of that as cold. I thought of that as just, like, consistent for this world, because once again, nobody can seem to remember anybody's name. <laughs> I
0: I guess that's true, but I don't know. It, it feels... It feels wrong to me, right? That he's just like, ah, yeah, you too. You're, I don't know, you're related to Mia, I guess. Like, he doesn't even remember their names or who they are or what they do. And it's <clears> like, <throat> dude, you know, it, it was what? Like half a year ago, Turnabout Sisters, right? It was a few months. Yeah. And Phoenix pretty much put to rest probably the most single, the single greatest case in Grossberg's life, right? it. <clears throat> Phoenix, like, got the guy who blackmailed Grossberg for years arrested, like, put this big case to rest, and Grossberg doesn't even remember his name. Doesn't even remember who he is. Like, I don't know, something about that just feels wrong to me. It just feels bad.
1: No, that's a, that's actually a fair point. It's maybe something I didn't think about at the time, but... Um, yeah you could be right I, I just thought like I said it was more of the same like you know characters just like the running gag of like nobody can remember your name yeah. but that is a fair point it's like a much different thing if it's like you know gumshoot doesn't remember you versus like Grossberg where it's like you know especially when he doesn't remember like Maya cause it's like you know as we're about to learn with like the DL6 incidents like you know the it's like <laughs> you've been involved with some you know important uh events you know involving uh, yeah the faye clan so
0: and it's like gumshoe might forget your name but he still knows who you are and knows why you're important to him Grossberg yeah. doesn't even have that he's just like ah yeah you're that lawyer I think I don't know you know like <laughs> all right listener listeners right Write
1: in and tell us whether you think uh, Gersberg is being cold or whether he's just like everyone else in this world, bumbling and forgetful and can't remember everyone's name.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Am I being too harsh on this old, old, uh, 61 year old man? I don't know.
1: Yeah. Write into um, Turnabout Podcast Care of Abby.
0: Yeah. And I do mean write in. I expect a letter. Thank you phoenix right
1: in <laughs> phoenix right in
0: anyway okay so um
1: wait can i can I point out one more one more thing yeah gersberg says once again ah the days of my youth felt <laughs> like the scent of fresh lemon
0: you see still yeah he still. says that as if we expect him to know what he means i still don't know what he means by that I, uh, I have no idea yeah but yeah so we don't we have some examined texts, obviously. Uh-huh. We always do, right? Yeah. There's actually not too many new or noteworthy examined texts from the um, the last time that we were here. Uh-huh. <laughs> One thing that I did think was pretty funny in the law offices is yeah. if you examine the bookshelf, uh-huh. Maya says, you know, she's looking at all the stuff and she wants to take a lot of the stuff. And she's like, well, okay, can we at least take the wooden bear? And Phoenix <laughs> in his inner I monologue. That. Oh my god! Yeah, he, that was so good. He thinks, "Hmm, well, it is kind of cute." So he's mm. obviously like, you know, all the other things. Uh, Phoenix is like, "No, don't take that. Don't take that. You know, leave it alone. Leave it alone." And then when she calls <laughs> out the wooden bear, he's like, "Well, well maybe, maybe. It's like maybe. The, the office
1: could use a wooden bear."
0: Yeah. <laughs> Um, But yeah, otherwise, you know, with some of the other examines, Maya looks at the plan and she's like, yeah, I think our Charlie is cuter. You know, if if you examine the vacant wall, she's like, huh, why is it a different color? And Phoenix is like, well, there used to be a painting there. And Maya's like, well, where did it go? And she's like, and Phoenix is like, well, he gave it to someone. And Maya's like, oh, must have been a romantic interest. And Phoenix (laughs) is like, yeah, let's go with that because I guess he yeah. probably doesn't want to get too deep into the whole blackmail conspiracy that was surrounding uh Maya's whole trial.
1: So one detail that I noticed and this isn't like an official thing you can actually like examine uh but I yeah. noticed that if you look at Grossberg he's still wearing a defense attorney badge similar to yours like the yellow pin like in the lapel in his jacket. Oh, and sure. I remember being surprised when I saw that and I was like how is he not like disbarred for being involved in this whole like corruption scheme but then also i guess he was the victim because he was the one being blackmailed but then also he like seemed to have willingly shared this privileged information with red white so i don't know should Grossberg be disbarred that
0: mm, that is a good question now i know in a lot of professional settings it can take a rising amount of effort to get someone disbarred (laughs)
1: unless you're playing
0: apollo justice (laughs) i was gonna bring up apollo justice yeah where phoenix kind of gets disbarred at very minimal provocation um but from what i recall there was somebody in power who wanted him to be disbarred so that kind of you know maybe it was a little easier to grease the wheels there Whereas yeah. Grosberg, it has, you know, very high prestige and very high clout. So maybe, uh-huh. you know, maybe they're more willing to sort of wave their hands on that one. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. That is interesting. I
1: just saw that and I'm like, I honestly wasn't sure. I'm like, because on the one end he was the victim of blackmail, but on the other end he's also willingly did some
0: shady things. I don't know. I wouldn't hire him as my attorney. <laughs> He very much gave out privileged information, which I can't imagine is a permissible thing to do as a lawyer. But yeah, I don't know. It also doesn't seem like he is currently practicing law very much. So maybe it's really not even much of a consideration. That would be a very interesting detail. If between this case and Turnabout Sisters, they had removed his uh, defense attorney's badge. That actually would have been kind of a cool Easter egg. If just they didn't
1: comment on it, but just like his badge was missing
0: yeah well anyway but yeah so we can talk to marvin we have a few options to talk about you know we can ask him about what happened and basically phoenix just explains that um miles was suspected of shooting someone and that the victim is unknown this seems completely unknown to marvin right yeah and by the way when we talk to marvin he does have a line where he says uh i just got up Marvin. oh my god isn't this... it like
1: two in the afternoon or something <laughs>
0: this case started at 10 a.m it's okay. probably been a solid three to four hours so yeah it's like 2 p.m so, yeah like what are you such a... talking about grisberg's such a bum <laughs> he really is and then yeah we we can ask him about the painting as well and marvin explains <laughs> that he can't really ex- he can't really claim the painting as stolen because he did yeah. give it up willingly so he kind of considers its loss part of his retribution, you know? So yeah. it, I I feel like that almost sort of hints at a sort of redemption or sort of a character arc for Marvin. But, you know, it, it's at least something that he has it's to something. answer to for what he did. But yeah, otherwise we can present to him uh, Lada's camera, uh-huh. which um, he does astutely point out that it doesn't really make sense for a camera that is supposed to be tracking, uh, stars to be pointed at the lake listening for explosions.
1: I can't believe it It took me so long to realize that because that comes up later again.
0: Yeah, it really doesn't make sense. So that's interesting.
1: But yeah, if she's, if she's looking at shooting stars, why would this, why was this camera pointed directly at the lake or this, uh murder happened and Grossberg says I'd be suspicious of this witness of yours and it's
0: like yeah that's a fair point I'm actually starting to get (laughs)
1: suspicious of her
0: yeah Um, and then of course we can do what we came here for and show him the autopsy report and he uh, instantly recognizes the victim as Robert Hammond a lawyer from his office
1: so is this a name pun I couldn't figure out one for Robert Hammond
0: uh oh (sighs) I, I've i absolutely got nothing.
1: All right, fair enough. So he's just a normal yeah. dude with a normal name.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but I mean, that's about the size of it, I think. Um, yeah. Showing him the autopsy report opens up a dialogue option to talk about Robert Hammond in more detail. And Marvin explains that he was a defense attorney at the Grossberg Law Offices. And that more to the point, he was the defense attorney for the DL6 incident. Oh man, here it comes now! Now we're playing an Ace Attorney game.
1: Like you're telling go. me,
0: DL Six is wrapped up in this. Why I haven't heard about that case since Turnabout Sisters. Yeah, and um, I
1: love if Phoenix even has a line. He's like, DL Six. Why does that sound so familiar?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's all it's all coming around again.
1: Oh man, it's coming full circle. We're finally gonna get the payoff for all these things they were setting up, starting with like the very first, or not first, um, uh, or first, depending on, if uh, <laughs> you're playing the depending original on version. Depending on your perspective. if, if the, the original case that Shu Takumi intended it, but uh, yeah, going back to uh, Turnabout Sisters, you're right. So it, uh, Grossberg gives us kind of a helpful recap of uh, things that we had learned uh, previously about the DL-6 incident. Um, it was um, the incident where the police were at a loss so they consulted a spirit medium uh maya reacts to this she says wait you don't mean and it's like yeah of course now we officially learn um the medium was uh, maya's mother uh misty Fay. she uh contacted the spirit of the victim um and grossberg tells us uh but the case was a loss no conviction was made so um yeah now we get to talk more about the dl6 incident um they had, uh, I wrote down in my notes that there was some new music that started playing. This is like the... If I were, if I were a better podcaster, I would have looked up uh, the name of this track. But I wrote in my notes, I just said, this is the serious music. Because we're about to get this uh, info dump about the DL6 incident. This is where...
0: Oh, uh, uh, yeah. I don't really recall. Is it just the song from the uh, intro? Maybe. Oh, it could be, actually. I think it is the same one. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I, I think it might be. I, I believe they use it uh, a few times throughout this case. But, um.
1: Grossberg tells us uh, the DL6, it was a strange case from 15 years ago. Um, they never caught the criminal. Uh, Misty Faye, uh, used her powers to speak to uh, the victim uh, who was murdered. Um, they said that Misty Faye's uh, testimony led to charges, uh, being laid against one man, uh, who we don't know yet. They don't reveal. Uh, the name of that man, but there's one suspected criminal, but the uh, defense attorney we just learned about, uh, Mr. Robert Hammond, uh, won this case, and this unnamed suspect was declared innocent, um, and it was a kind of a debacle. The police blamed uh, Misty Faye, calling her a fraud. Uh, you know, they never found the real murderer for this incident, so it was kind of bad all around, and, and here's another thing they don't acknowledge it yet i think they meant they don't bring it up till like much later but this is something that i thought of as soon as i said this um we keep talking about how uh miles edgeworth's case keeps looking worse and worse and now we have now it gets even worse you know we have um he was at the scene of the crime his fingerprints were on the murder weapon there's a photo of the incident there's not one but two witnesses and now we know that edgeworth has a motive. Um, because yes. as we are about to learn, I might have uh, jumped ahead a little bit by saying that he has a motive, but Grossberg tells us, uh, very soon the, uh, we still haven't learned who the suspected killer was, but we know the victim, the murder victim in the DL six incident was none other than miles, father, Gregory Edgeworth
0: groundbreaking. <laughs> so that's a pretty huge reveal. Um, that is a huge reveal. Prior to this point, we did not know that Miles had any involvement with DL6. Yeah. Um, so we so now have you... involvement between very many parties with DL6. And yeah. this specifically, you're right, has huge implications for Miles' motive. The actual suspect behind the DL6 incident doesn't really seem to be important you know. right now. What seems yeah. to be important is that Robert Hammond is responsible for getting that suspect declared innocent. And yeah, right now, by all appearances, Miles killed that lawyer, Robert Hammond. Yeah. So that's a pretty clear motive, right?
1: Revenge for the...
0: Yeah, if we are to believe that that suspect was truly guilty, or at the very least that Miles perceived that suspect as truly guilty, <sighs> you could see how Miles, in this situation could see robert hammond as being guilty of great injustice against miles's father which you know again depending on how you want to read that intro video (laughs) that could be the suffering that miles had experienced for 15 years right yeah knowing that the knowing that um the lawyer responsible for declaring his own father's murderer innocent is still out there you know not having to answer for what he's done. Um, so it it's such a weird and far out connection that loops 15 years into the past and then back into the present and then back directly into that boat from the beginning of the case.
1: I love that you pointed that out too about the intro to this case where you see the two men in the boat and there's the dialogue and you pointed out importantly that there's no names attached to it. And obviously, yeah. you know, it's a text-based game, so you can't discern, like, character's voice or anything. You don't know who's saying what. It would be very interesting to re-watch that kind of, you know, 15-second, like, short intro at various stages in the case, because you would probably get, like, a very different um, interpretation of, of what happened. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so we now know... um So Edgeworth has an apparent motive, uh, revenge on Robert Hammond, the defense attorney who helped his father's killer uh, escape justice um let's see uh there was one other thing that was important here um oh he said um after we we learned the big reveal that um the victim in the dl6 incident was edgeworth's father uh, gregory edgeworth he says, um, Grossberg says, if you want to know more, you should ask him yourself. He said, show him this. I'm sure he'll talk to you. Do you, do you know what the this is? It's a picture of Misty Fay. It is, in fact, a photo of Maya's mother, Misty Fey. And I like this. Um, I always talk about, like, the, how this game makes such good use of the music. Like, the the tempo increases here when you see the the photo of Misty Faye And it's like, oh, man, it's about to get good.
0: By the way, I kind of do want to point out in Turnabout Sisters, there is a kind of weird scene in the second investigation where (laughs) you go to the Grossberg Law Offices and there are two photos sitting on his desk, Exhibit A and Exhibit B. One of the photos is of red-white, and that's the (laughs) photo you're supposed to take, obviously. But the second photo is actually Missy Faye. Yeah, so
1: it's come full circle. This is the same photo that we saw previously, but now you actually get it
0: yeah so there's I I think that's some remarkable continuity
1: (laughs) yes continuity he had the photo this whole time
0: yeah it's such a stupid little detail but yeah I I thought that was a a good touch (laughs) I'm I'm being silly I, I, I also appreciated it yeah but yeah so after that we can go ahead and mosey on over to the detention center new evidence and shocking revelation in hand to confront Miles Edgeworth heck yeah one last time Oh
1: man, it's so good. It's so uh yeah, Edgeworth is still kind of grumpy um at first. Um let's see.
0: I that's did our... write in my notes that Miles is such a sinderay and he in a way is. I feel like that's Oh my god. He's <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know if I yeah, wrote he, that he's, specifically. I definitely thought he's it. He's all it was... like he's all like Phoenix, I don't even want you in my case. Just leave. Don't even talk to me. Meanwhile, like, he very desperately, desperately needs help.
1: He should, like, give you, like, the letter of request uh, for Gumshoe and be like, it's like, here, take this if you want. It's it's not like I want you to defend me or anything, It's Baka.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's not like I want you to defend me or anything. Like, that's exactly the energy he has throughout this whole investigation. Yeah. So,
1: um... You, you know you can try and talk to him kind of similar to before he's not cooperative um you know if you ask about Gord lake i know maya you know tells edgeworth um she says detective gumshoe was really worried about you and this is the one thing that edgeworth didn't have like a kind of sassy comeback to it's just uh he didn't say anything his dialogue was just like the three dots like he didn't say anything and i i don't know yeah that you know you always say, like, uh, maybe I'm reading too much into this. This might be an example where I read too much into this, but I thought like that silence actually, like, said a lot about Edgeworth because it's, like, you know, of all... Am I, am I right? Am I onto something here? Because, like, all the things, like, you know, Phoenix says, like, oh, let us defend you. He's like, nah, I don't want your help. Um, but here it's, like, I feel like the wall is, like, almost starting to come down in the sense that, like...
0: So I do agree with that because uh, I also noted that exact same interaction in my notes that, yeah, yeah, the one thing in these conversations that really does make Edgeworth seem visibly distressed is that you mentioned that Gumshoe is worried about him. And I think that's Miles kind of realizing that his stubbornness, his unwillingness to get help is not just affecting him that is affecting the people that care about him
1: yeah which is kind of funny like i feel like he's so like cold towards like maybe it's just like whoever he's talking to in person he has to like you know be like constantly guard up like not willing to show any emotion because um he's you know constantly busting your chops you know phoenix right saying like it's like i know you have like or phoenix is like we don't have so much time that we could just come here and visit you and he's like yes you do um but then I think kind of similar with Gumshoe, he's, um, when he sees him in person, he always gives him a hard time. He's like talking like, oh, you know, we'll talk about this at your next, you know, salary negotiation. But then um, it's like he acts like a tough guy when he's like in front of the person, whether it's Gumshoe or Phoenix Rider or whoever. But then like, you know, when Gumshoe's not there, it seems like he really does have, you know, human emotions. Like it's yeah difficult for Edgeworth knowing that Gumshoe was worried about him.
0: I think that's exactly right, is that he has difficulty expressing his emotions di- directly. Yes. But I yeah. think he's also very bad at hiding his feelings. Yeah, he's a single I, I Yeah, I also, think, I also think part of this, part of why he's maybe so conflicted about this, is he might not have even been aware that Gumshoe was worried about him, right? Like, he might yeah. not have even been aware that there were people who cared about him. So, I mean, as we just learned, he grew up without a father, right? He's probably pretty used to being on his own a lot of the time. So this is probably sort of a unique realization for him. But yeah, if we present Misty Faye's photo to him, uh, he's immediately pretty impressed with how much progress Phoenix has made in the couple of hours since the beginning of the case. Um, and he's also a little distressed because he really would have preferred if Phoenix did not learn about the DL-6 incident. And he figures now that Phoenix does know about it, there's really no point in hiding it anymore.
1: Yeah, this is kind of the turning point when you show him the, the Misty Faye photo. This is where, you know, he's really, you know, impressed with the progress you've made in such a short time. And now, I, I definitely wrote this down, um, Edgeworth says... I see no point in hiding anything from you now. And that's me had big uh, Wendy old bag vibes. You remember the last question? She was like, I'm tired, tired of holding it all in. And this is maybe another Ace Attorney trope. We're about to learn about that incident from 15 years ago. So now we finally get to talk to Edgeworth about the DL6 incident.
0: Yeah, it's a very similar energy where we have this, you know, pretty dramatic, pretty heavy reveal that it seems like he's just been sort of keeping inside of him for so so long.
1: Yeah. So that that's great. Like, you know, kind of the characterization we get about Edgeworth, you know you know, learning that um he actually is a human, you know, with feelings. But also, um, I just love the, the ace attorney trope. It's like everything you learn is like connected to like some other incident from you know, whether it's five years or seven years or fifteen years ago. So we're, we're about to uh, to get some important information uh, from Edgeworth. Uh, so, yeah. Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, I mean, basically, yeah, just like you said, we have some really important details to learn from Edgeworth, right? <laughs> um, and the first is about the DL6 incident, right? Yeah. Um, Edgeworth goes into a bit more detail about what Grossberg has already told us, And that's that he saw his father killed before his very eyes, right? And based on the circumstances of this case, Miles asserts that there was only one possible suspect. And (laughs) that suspect was arrested. Yeah. However... Hammond successfully defended that suspect.
1: Yeah, I like the way they do this. They, um, I feel like we've seen something similar a couple times. They did like the the split second flashback where we see kind of the black and white, yeah, almost like photo of you know his father Gregory Edgeworth, and um, he's wearing glasses, so his eyes are kind of like obscured, and you just see his body, you know, slumped over um, with his back, you know, leaning against a wall. Um, you know, he's got like the the chest wound from where he was shot, so it's like um obviously very traumatic for you know poor edgeworth who i think was eight years old at the time to see his father you know shot in front of him and then the way they did that kind of the i was gonna say the camera work i don't know if that's the right term but you know like the how it kind of very the quick cut from the you know kind of dialogue to this you know still image of uh edgeworth's you know dead father it's like oh geez this is like traumatic for this poor child
0: yeah, for sure. It's it, it's super effective, the sort of vibe, the sort of energy that they can get across with just some still images and, like, sound effects.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and it might have even been more noticeable for you if you're playing, like, the older, like, DS version, because they, yeah. they're really, um, you know, doing a lot with, like, very little in terms of, you know, like, the resources they're working with. You know, you always talk about, like, the, the crunchy sound that this... Yeah, speaker and the ds like produces uh but yeah it really is like emotional
0: yeah so i mean miles communicates this right that this is a super heavy burden that he's mm-hmm. been bearing right yes witnessing the death of his own father and then seeing the only possible suspect get off scot-free but then the stakes are a little bit higher Because Uh Miles explains that the statute of limitations for DL6 ends in three days. Because in three days is the 15-year anniversary of the day it began. Yes. And once the statute of limitations is up, legally, this case has never happened, and it will be closed forever. I like the, um, (laughs) you know, not not
1: to have like a tonal shift here going like very serious and I don't mean to laugh but I did think it was a little bit funny when um you know they they said the statute of limitations on a murder of Gregory Edgeworth from 15 years ago is about to expire I, I like the way they did this because they do it like several times where we get Maya is this kind of stand-in character because obviously you know Phoenix Wright and Edgeworth or lawyers like they know what the statute of limitations are but you know the player may not, so we get the stand-in character, Maya, you know, for our benefit, who can ask Phoenix, you know, what is the statute of limitations? And then he gets to explain, you know, what that means. But we get, like, the briefest of explanations. It's like one sentence, he's like, oh, when the statute of limitations expires, you know, legally this never happens. And on top, so I, I kind of thought that was silly, like the, you know, hand-wavy, like, super short explanation we get. But then also, I'm not a lawyer. There's no statute of limitations on murder, is there?
0: Well, haha, <laughs> good news, me. <Mief. laughs> I looked into it. All right. So.
1: Tell, tell me the results of your legal research here.
0: In California, the <laughs> statute of limitations is generally a maximum of six years for felony off- offenses. Yeah. However, particularly serious crimes. And that is the terminology they use in the California legal system. A particularly serious crime, such as murder, does not have a statute of limitations. So in California law, a murder trial is pretty much open forever. So that's what I thought. And, you know... However... (sighs) However, this case was originally written... With Japan as the setting. So, in Japan... Oh, you're kidding. There is also no statute of limitation for murder. <laughs> However, yeah. that is only because the statute of limitations for murder trials in Japan was abolished in 2010. Oh, wow, that's really recent. When this game... I Yeah, actually, yeah, you're right. <laughs> When this game was originally written in 2001, the statute of limitations for murder in Japan... Don't tell me it was 15 years. ...was, in fact, it was 15 years. Wow, I didn't know that.
1: That's super interesting. This is why I love doing this podcast with you.
0: So that detail is actually legally accurate. Her, my simplistic understanding of Japanese law.
1: That's fascinating. That's like, <laughs> for all the, like, hand-waving and just, like, over-the-top, like, nonsense that happens, like, dramatic, like, you know, like, stealing evidence from crime scenes, like, revealing it in court without, you know, submitting it to the police or anything like that, like... I'm I'm shocked. I can't even believe this was based on, like, a reality.
0: Well, I do actually like how it seems like this game enjoys using legal precedents and legal jargon as sort of little pieces, right? Like, little pieces they can use narratively and gameplay mechanically um, as it suits them, right? They want to use, you know... Uh, uh, the statute of limitations as a narrative device to raise mm-hmm. stakes, right? Yeah. Similarly, you know, there are cases in court where they use contempt of court as a way of raising stakes as a narrative device. Well, we're
1: going to talk about that
0: later. <laughs> <But>
1: <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. So there, there are different cases where they will sort of pull actual legal concepts and use them as components in the narrative. And I like that. I I like that the story is still willing to sort of dip into that well of, like, legal material when it sees it is suitable. So, yeah. yeah. So there you go. If you're wondering, is the DL6, you know, statute of limitations a realistic and valid plot point? Yeah, it kind of is. And sure, maybe it's a little contrived for this to happen, like, right at the 15-year anniversary, but honestly... I am here for it. I am super invested in this. This scene I, I flagged as the most important scene in the investigation. And this is the reason why. It it really does sharply frame what <clears throat> is at stake here. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah, it talks about
1: what's at stake. And also now we have this uh, ticking clock of we know there's like, you know, three days from now the DL6 uh, case file will be closed forever. And we know that, um, you know, Edgeworth is on trial for the murder of, uh, Robert Hammond, which is obviously connected to that previous murder of his father, Gregory Edgeworth. So because he's put on trial now, we know that in the legal system they've established here, this trial has a time limit of three days. So in three, <laughs> in the next three days, we're going to have two cases that are going to be closed. There's the, um, yep. you know, Ed- Edgeworth's murder trial, uh, for Robert Hammond um, and then you know the the previous murder uh, from 15 years ago the uh, murder of Gregory Edgeworth who as of yet we don't know who the killer is or even who the uh, suspected killer is we still haven't learned his name
0: yeah it's I, hey it is a tall order yeah. for anybody to do in three days well <laughs> really at this point like two and a half days since this, tri- this investigation is pretty much almost over yeah but it It tells us what we need to do if we want to get, you know, if we want to close the book on these cases. Now, uh, Miles does have just a bit more, that's sort of the big reveal, but he does have a bit more amplifying information about, you know, the DL6 case. Uh, We can ask him about the suspect, right? Maya wants to know what happened to the suspect, the one who got off innocent. And basically, Edgeworth explains that he doesn't know, that this guy just sort of disappeared from public view and nobody knows what happened to him. Um, miles explains that if he's still alive, he's probably about 50 years old now. Yeah. And then we so... can also ask about miles's father and miles doesn't have too much to say about his father. Basically just that his name was Gregory Edgeworth and he was a famous defense attorney at the time. Yeah, um, And, and my, can ask if, uh, if you were trying to follow in his footsteps and he says, I'd rather
1: not talk about it.
0: Yeah. I, I've, Think that's a very interesting and sort of sad exchange.
1: Yeah. So so I do I do like what comes next when uh yeah. what what Edgeworth is about to say. So so Edgeworth says, It pains me to ask you this now. <laughs> and Maya cuts in, she goes, She's like, I know, you want you want us to defend you. <laughs> and I was like holding back manly tears at this point. It's like Edgeworth is like, Yes, will you? And it's like Now we get the, after, after all this, you know, investigating, we finally get, um, the opportunity, you know, to, uh, to accept Edgeworth's uh, request to defend him in court. And so, so you get this dialogue option at this point, technically you can say no, and you get some kind of silly dialogue there. (laughs) I, I couldn't bring myself to say no to even find out what that was. I'm like, no, I'm not going to turn my back on my friends now, (laughs)
0: It really is. It's one of those cases where it's like, yeah, you have the option. You could say, of course, I'll defend you. Or, of course, we won't defend you. And it's so silly because, like, you know it doesn't matter, right? Of course. But, like, at this point, I feel like they do build up this narrative so strongly in this investigation that, like, even aside from jokes or bits, I could not personally bring myself to to deny Miles at this point.
1: That's so funny. Between...
0: (laughs) All of the trauma and all of the desperation and yeah. all of the emotions he's going through. To, uh-huh. to say no to that? Absolutely not. Yeah. Now, and- if you do say no, Phoenix does just say that he was joking. <laughs> he tries to make a little joke. And both Maya and Edgeworth are very mad at him about that. Yeah, Maya's like, do it over. <laughs> yeah do it over <laughs> which honestly is it's, pr- it's pretty funny so so we're but nearing, yeah
1: so we're nearing the end here but there's a couple of more uh important lines coming up so um after you know you accept uh edgeworth's request to defend him uh says, this is my chance to finally pay you back uh and maya's like pay him back and edgeworth you know he's like for what i don't remember doing anything for you uh so, Phoenix just kind of brushes it off. He's like, ah, never mind. So, we're going to learn more about this later. So, at this point, you know, we know that um, Phoenix Wright, Miles Edgeworth, and Larry Butts uh, were childhood friends, um, you know, who were together in fourth grade. And we've now learned that Phoenix Wright uh, at least believes that he needs to, uh, he owes a debt to Edgeworth and he needs to pay him back for something. And Edgeworth is apparently unaware of this or doesn't remember. Uh, yeah, but it, this is yet another in a long line of, you know, Ace Attorney breadcrumbs where we're going to, you know, learn more about this later. So keep that in the back of your mind for now, uh, listeners.
0: Yeah, it's it is, again, just one of those interesting little details that you just sort of put a pin in. Yeah. And so, then after that, after that very dramatic exchange, something completely random happens. Uh-huh. Well, hold on, hold on. First, well, he gives you the letter of request to give it to Gumshoe. Then something random happens. Right, Tell sure. us. Then something random happens. There's an earthquake. <laughs> yes, an earthquake
1: Ed- in the city of Los Angeles. Totally not Tokyo. Well, actually, I
0: guess hmm, both Tokyo and LA are pretty close to fault lines. So, so I mean, you, you've won one of those this round, where... Ace Attorney Localization
1: Team. But I'll I'll get you back when we get to Spirit of Justice or. Is Spirit of Justice? I don't know. It doesn't matter right now.
0: Yeah, well, we'll have a stern talking to the localization team with Spirit of Justice. They know For, what they did. I think it might be um, dual destinies. I don't know. We'll get to that later. Sorry. Yeah. Go on. But, yeah, so, it, like, it's one of those things where it's like, I mean, yeah, earthquakes happen in these places, but it, narratively, it feels really random. But, yeah, there's an earthquake that leaves Miles Edgeworth in a shivering ball on the floor which yeah yeah is pretty funny imagery for him but also like kind of sad cuz he's usually so strong and dignified and at that point Phoenix and Maya are like well uh i guess we'll just leave him alone see ya. yeah this is another yeah. uh, similar to like
1: the the lot of thing from earlier this, this is this is the exact thing you were describing before the the comeback later but like without the dialogue he doesn't say come back later he's just you know yeah unable to respond to like scared or traumatized like curled up in a
0: ball but they're just like ah well i guess i'm just leaving for now yep i'm sure that is just completely random and not at all consequential (laughs) yeah so yeah after that we go to deliver the letter of recommendation to gumshoe At the criminal affairs department, Gumshoe is very upset.
1: So before we even get a chance to to give him the letter, he's uh, visibly upset about a a wild lady who came in here just a while ago. (laughs) Yeah, I
0: like the line. He says, why are you going around finding more witnesses? (laughs) You know, like the two of them are just like rounding up people to to speak against Miles's case. Which is funny because it's like, yeah, you know,
1: in the beginning... Like Gumshoe was saying, there was that one witness who we haven't met yet. But um, you know now you've discovered Lotta Hart, who claims to be you know the second witness to this murder. <laughs> Gumshoe's mad because yep. you're like making Edgeworth's case look worse. Phoenix Ride makes a very fair point. He said, I can't just go around covering up evidence. And it's like, right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Dude's got some integrity.
0: So got to give it to Phoenix there. Yeah, it kind of does echo that sentiment that gumshoe had before where he was like you know we we find the suspect miles gets the suspect declared guilty you know to to gumshoe that's what he does he finds the person who's guilty and gets them sentenced you know going around finding more information really isn't a relevant part of his job so i mean i think he is genuinely caught off guard like why would you go after somebody who will hurt your case? That doesn't make sense. But yeah. of course, to Phoenix, it's about finding the truth, whatever that truth may be. Yeah. So we're able to talk to Gumshoe about a couple of little things right now. We could ask him about Lada's testimony. Basically, uh-huh. in short, Lada says that she saw Edgeworth fire the gun yeah. and that she is going to enlarge her photo to prove it. Yep. Uh, Gumshoe also kind of mentions that the second witness he mentioned at the beginning of the case just canceled. yeah which is apparently you can do that yeah and you know this is another thing
1: where i feel like it seems very obvious in like a second playthrough where it's like there are certain things where it's like i was gonna say plot hole that's the wrong term like gaps in the information that we have that seem pretty glaringly obvious but As the player, you know, you have all these like dialogue options presented to you, and you know, you can present evidence from the court record, but you just never get the option to explore certain things. And one of them is um, this other, you know, second witness who we haven't met, we don't even know their name. Um, And then another example that comes to mind is talking about the DL6 incident from 15 years ago. We now know it was a murder trial. We know the victim was uh, Gregory Edgeworth. We know that. That someone was accused, we don't know who, this person that was named by uh, Misty Fay, this mystery person was accused of murder, and then defended by defense attorney Robert Hammond. He was found, you know, not guilty, and then, you know, just went off and disappeared from the public eye. But there's like two, apparently two people who we don't know and don't have the option to even ask about, you know, the second witness to this Current day murder and, you know, the name of the man who was accused of killing Gregory Edgeworth fifteen years ago. I feel like those are if I were in Phoenix Rights' position, I'd be like, wait, who is this man? But you just don't really get the option. He just says, Oh, I yeah. guess there was a cancellation.
0: Yeah, there really isn't a mechanic in Ace Attorney to uh, go down to the uh, you know, local uh, you know, law office and Or no, there's not a mechanic in Ace Attorney to Google a old trial that happened. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, Phoenix could probably Google the public record of the DL6 incident and find out who the suspect was, find out, you know, who the prosecutor was, who the defense was, find out all the details on it. You know, like, he could get that information without, you know, going down to the courthouse or whatever. Um, But I guess also... Something we know about Phoenix is that he is a Luddite and does not do well with technology. So maybe yeah. that's more consistent of a detail than you might think. Yeah. Hey
1: you can't just go look up this information. You gotta <laughs> you gotta find Marvin Grossberg and get the plot coupon, the photo of Misty Faye and then
0: <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Got, you can't you gotta, just open up a book. You have to, you know, shake down a small child from a drain vent to get information. That's what lawyers do. <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: So you know, whatever. I have mixed feelings because, like, on the one hand, it, it seems kind of contrived and kind of silly that you can't look up this information that, you know, if I were in Phoenix Wright's position, like, these are the questions I would be asking, but you just don't get the option. But within the narrative they've established, like, it makes total sense for, like, the storytelling that they want to, you know, gradually reveal these details to you when the time is right. So I I think it's fine for both things to be true. I, I can both point out it's a little bit silly and... Give it a free pass because I'm base attorney.
0: Yep, that's that's how I feel about so many things related to this game. Where I'm like, I acknowledge that this is silly, but I do not care. Yeah. <laughs> um. So we get a few other just quick little things that we could talk to Gumshoe about. Uh, we could ask him about tomorrow's trial, <sighs> and uh, basically, he has a pretty grim perspective on it. He says that tomorrow is going to be life or death for poor Mister Edgeworth. Yeah. And then um, we can also just ask him about Edgeworth. Right. Uh And he says that it sounds like uh, Edgeworth is going to ask the state to assign a public defender and that, um, you know, he was just about to go file the paperwork for it. And Gumshoe insists that Phoenix defends Edgeworth.
1: Yeah. So I guess, um, you know, if you had done things in a different order, you might be able to talk to Gumshoe before you get, you know, the letter of request from Edgeworth. But good news, yep. uh, we, we we got that letter, so we can present that to Gumshoe. And um, he is very excited that, uh, you know, Edgeworth will be in good hands with us uh, defending him. He Says, you know, good thing I held off on filing that paperwork. I'll go, you know, tear it up now and start, you know, new paperwork with, you know, you uh, as the defense attorney for Edgeworth.
0: Yeah, Gumshoe is really jazzed up that Phoenix is taking
1: the case. You know what, though, I, I actually forgot to point this out. I really like um when you—the very first thing uh, Phoenix Wright says when you present uh, Gumshoe with this letter, he says, "Look what I got." I just love that. Like you're saying before, like Phoenix Wright is occasionally like sassy or whatever. I thought that was just so like smug. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, especially since you know, if you do the dialogue in order, the immediate thing that uh, that uh, Gumshoe says before is, "Wow, Enough. you really should take this case, pal." And then yeah, yeah. Phoenix is like, "Hey, check it out, check so, it out, look what I got."
1: So we look at our different waifu archetypes. If uh, Edgeworth is the the tsundere, uh Phoenix, right, would be the, he'd be like the smug girl who like you know laughs with her like hand covering her face. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't know what you call that archetype, but yeah, I think that's he's definitely somewhere more along that spectrum. Yeah. But yeah, so basically Gumshoe is like totally on board with this. It's it's really a pretty, you know, triumphant scene, right? That everybody's pretty happy that Phoenix is going to be taking the case. Uh, yeah. You know, Gumshoe wishes him luck. And um, there's a little sort of line too where Gumshoe, you know, asks if they felt the earthquake. And um you know, he says he was pretty worried because he was worried how Edgeworth would handle it, uh, right? And um, I think it's really sweet. Gumshoe says that he's going to go over to the detention center to check yeah. up on Edgeworth. Yeah. Which, I, I don't know, that level of care to me seems to extend beyond basic professional courtesy.
1: Yeah, and I'd be curious to know what the folks on Tumblr have to say about this. Well. Whether, whether people ship, like, phoenix right and miles edgeworth but it's starting to look more and more like edgeworth and gumshoe have a little bit of a bromance going on
0: i i look the people on tumblr will ship anything i guarantee you i who do
1: they who do they ship uh who do they ship charlie with
0: yeah (laughs) i'm sure there's some miles x gumshoe um but as far as like actual like romantic shipping goes between the two of them i don't know i I think of it more as sort of like mutual admiration yeah i think bromance is probably a good word for it yeah just just dudes being bros between miles and phoenix that's far more homoerotic i think (laughs) yes but yeah i i do like their relationship i i think it is one of those things where you know Gumshoe has this very clear admiration for Miles, and <laughs> Miles, being the tsundere he is, yeah, does have admiration for Gumshoe as well, but yeah. would not admit that. Yeah. Also, go on. Just did a quick Google. <laughs> oh no! Some very cute pictures of the two of them. Oh, that's good.
1: I like to see the cute, wholesome <laughs> pictures.
0: Yeah, there. There's one where uh, Edgeworth is giving Gumshoe a hug. And he's uh, looking very, like, bashful about it. And then Gumshoe looks very surprised. It's it's a good one. I like it. not going to go too far down on these results. Anyway. <laughs> yeah.
1: So so we're getting close anyway, to the that's... end here. What's that? I said we're getting close to the end here. I think there's... Um...
0: That's pretty much it.
1: Yeah, so I know we said... Uh, I think the last thing I said, Gumshoe left to go check on Edgeworth. Um, at this point, you know, they say... Maya says, I wonder what it is with Edgeworth and earthquakes. Um, Phoenix says, I wonder. At this point, the screen fades to black. Phoenix trait says he was never scared of earthquakes when we were in school. We get a little more backstory. We know they were together only for one year. They were together in the same class for fourth grade. And we end this investigation phase with Phoenix saying, I wonder what happened to Edgeworth. He trails off That's right. continued.
0: And then that's it. That's all we got. This is a big case. And I think that is about the size of it by the end. You are right that, you know, while this case ends on a pretty triumphant note with uh, Phoenix turning in the uh, letter of request to Gumshoe, it really is a pretty dire case for Edgeworth. And the odds are stacked against our team. Yeah. But Mish, I think that was a ton of narrative weight for this case to pull in just its very first investigation.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: And honestly, I think uh, that's going to be about time for us on just part one of this case. So what do you say we, uh, we wrap things up for today and continue with the first trial next time?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it.
0: All right. So... I think that's going to about do it for this episode of Turnabout Podcast. Uh, tune in next time to see, I guess, what Lotta Hart has to say about all of this, because she's going to be our witness next time. Yeah, get ready
1: for uh, lots of southern drawl.
0: <laughs> southern drawl and probably perjury. It's hard to say sometimes. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. where can people find you?
1: You can find me uh, on all of the platforms at uh, Mish Cosplay. Uh, I stream on Twitch. Someday I will get a regular streaming schedule. Maybe Monday and Thursday. Maybe not. That's kind of aspirational. I also post cosplay photos to Instagram and Reddit. So follow me on those things. Uh, What about you, Abby? Where can people find you?
0: You can find me at adversary on Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Tumblr, TikTok, all of the places. Um, just check the show notes, and there's a link to all of my socials. I stream on Thursdays and Saturdays, and um, yeah, I'm really into Kerbal Space Program right now. I don't know what to tell you. Anyway, that has been episode seven of Turnabout Podcast. And remember, now that this episode is over, I hope you enjoyed it. A. Lata. Oh, that's good. It's not good. All right. Thank you. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. I'm just, I'm just along for the ride, baby. I might as well not even be here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, you didn't even play through the case, did you? I, yeah, I didn't even play through the fucking case. I don't know. what What is this? Dig Dug or some shit? <laughs>